high desert in the great American Southwest. I bid you good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be in the world's time zones, all covered most reliably by this program, Coast to Coast AM. I'm Mark Bell. It's my honor and privilege to be with you throughout the weekend. The big news is in Florida, of course. I don't know how many of you have been watching on CNN and the Weather Channel, but it's cool coverage. It's actually really neat coverage, and uh, it's worth watching right now. The uh, eye wall has passed over land, and the eye is now just about almost halfway over land in this very slow, very slow-moving hurricane. Now, massive Hurricane Francis trudged, that's the word the AP uses, trudged toward land with 105-mile-an-hour winds. They've measured more than that, by the way. And pelting rain late Saturday, knocking out power to 2 million people and forcing Floridians to endure a frightening night amid roaring gales, the shredded roofs and uprooted trees, transformers popping like corn, sending sparks into the dark skies as families huddled in shelters, I'm sure with radios, some of them in bathrooms, hotel lobbies. It's just incredible what's going on. I've watched now for days. I've been watching the Weather Channel. They really do good coverage of incoming, and it's been spectacular. Anyway, what I'm hoping to do is I'm going to reserve two telephone lines and see if we can get anybody in the area. Now, they're the two most logical lines. And here they are. I'm looking for people in the Palm Beach area, you know, in the Palms, in that area. And um, uh, Fort Pierce. Uh, Fort Pierce appears to be taking the brunt of it right now, 100-mile-an-hour winds. The problem with this hurricane, of course, it reduced itself down to uh, uh, Cat 2, but uh, but it, it just virtually stopped right at the coast. It stopped! And, of course, the worst thing you can have happen is a hurricane half on land and half in the ocean. That means it continually gets fed by the warm waters, and the energy is then, and the water, dumped on the land. And it's just a continuing process. Once it gets completely on land, it's going to lose a little bit of strength. But right now, it's whaling on Florida. And so it's worth a try. Now, I may not get any calls because all the communications in the area may either be knocked out or non-functioning. We may be on in Miami. If we are, then that means that we've got people with transistor radios in the, in the Palms and up in Fort Pierce and the area affected right now that would be able to get through. But if you're in an area and you've got a cell phone and you can get through to me, I would love to hear from you. So let's reserve two lines. The first time caller line, which is area code 702 727-1222. That's a first-time caller line here. 702-727-1222. Or our toll-free east of the Rockies line, which is 1-800-825-5033. I'll give that again. East of the Rockies, which Florida most assuredly is, 1-800-825-5033. And we would obviously love to hear from you. If you're able to get through from those areas. Now, my understanding is some cell phone coverage is, is continuing. 
and perhaps some telephones are on, or if I can't get to those areas, then maybe the areas adjacent. At any rate, um, I would love to hear from you. I'm not asking anybody like the CNN people or the Weather Channel people who bravely go out and stand in crazy places like right down at the ocean, under palm trees, in some cases out in the open. I saw the CNN anchors finally move out of the open. Uh, they said, this is getting too dangerous. You know, pieces of a roof were going by. And so they finally shifted to a, a slightly safer location. But I'm a weather bug. You know, I always have been. I used to chase tornadoes. So we've been watching religiously the Weather Channel over the last few days. There are tornado warnings out for Florida, uh, for that uh, a portion of Florida, mostly Palm and to the north, uh, where the rain bands are coming in. And that's where the tornado warnings, indeed, they think they've had several, perhaps, already. Anyway, my admiration goes out. I used to joke, you know, and wonder who... Who are the ones who get to go right down to the area where the eye wall is going to pass right over lead? I used to joke about that, but I, I really don't. Uh, I'm not going to indulge that tonight, although uh, you, you have to wonder. I, I noticed Anderson Cooper, uh, he's right. They've got him right down at Fort Anderson was at Fort Pierce, standing there, sort of, with pieces of a roof going by, and it looked pretty bad. So the torturous part of this hurricane, being Cat uh, 2, is not that bad. Uh, it's bad, but not that bad. Um, nevertheless, if you're, you know, kind of huddled somewhere right now, it's terrible. I mean, it's frightening, and you have every right to be frightened. 2.8, can you imagine this? 2.8 million people have been evacuated in Florida. 2.8 million people, my God, that's a lot of people, out of their homes, 73,000, uh, it is now estimated, in shelters. And so, what a Labor Day weekend it is for them. And, and one thing they, I'm sure they don't want to know is there's another hurricane on the way, or potentially on the way. Uh, out of Africa she came, and she's, she's probably going to take just about exactly the same path, probably the last thing in the world you all want to hear about out there. Did you know... That hurricane names um, are used again and again until you get a super hurricane or one that really impacts land, does a lot of damage, and then the name, like the baseball jersey number of a baseball player or a football player, they, they get retired. So I think, uh, I think Francis is well on the way to retirement already never to be used again and always to be remembered. So once again, let me give you two telephone numbers um, as we go on a break here. And uh, if we can hear from those of you in the actual areas affected, the Palm areas, maybe Fort Pierce and along the coast in that area, here they are. First time caller line, area code 702-727-1222, 702 -727 triple two or the east of, of the Rockies line at 1-800-825-5033 1-800-825-5033 we'll try and take you there in a moment all right 
once again, Florida on those lines and Florida only. So everybody, please cooperate out there. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hey, first time caller and second time survivor, hopefully. S- second time survivor. Where are you? In Lakeland, Florida. La- Lakeland, Florida. Yeah. And what's happening in Lakeland? And where is that with respect to the Palms, for example? Actually, it's uh, in pretty much right in the middle of Florida between Orlando and Tampa. But all of the feeder bands are coming in now. And we were just hit, you know, like three weeks ago. I know. And it's the same. We're getting hit from the opposite direction now. You know, and it's like a double hit. Yeah. Uh, how are your winds at the moment? Uh, gusts about 65. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's honking. Uh, yeah. That's kind of scary, and especially scary at night, isn't it? Yeah, it always has to happen at night, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like you don't want to go to sleep because you want to keep an eye on the trees. Yeah, of course not. So okay. are you going to stay awake uh, until it starts calming down a little bit, or what are your plans? Uh, uh, short sleep, probably intervals. Listening to you and then watching the local news. Yeah, um, they're doing a pretty good uh, job. Were, were you were you evacuated there, or well, we have a just for mobile homes? We have, a, you know, it's not mandatory, but you know, if you're in a mobile home, you should get out. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I've seen some of the, you know, the video from the, uh, oh, yeah. the mobile home parks even earlier today before the sun went down in Florida, and they were getting ripped up. Right. Yeah. Just we last the last one, Charlie. We were like, if that. If Charlie was 20 miles to the uh, west, we would have been destroyed. You know? I mean, you see the devastation from what it did with all the trailer parks and stuff. Absolutely. It knocked down a water tower, you know? Really? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's some wind. Yeah, that's some wind. Uh, well, I wish you luck in this one, and um, I hate to break it to you, but there's another one out there in the yeah, Atlantic beginning the to turn on. Yeah, right now, already. Sheesh. And it's like taking the same path. So this is going to be a, a weekly event. A week, weekly every other week. For a while, yeah. All right. Thank you very much for the call. Take Thanks. care. All right. We're going to be exploring on the phone lines. And again, let me emphasize this one more time. These two telephone lines I wish to reserve exclusively for Florida. Area code 702-727-1222 or the East of the Rockies line. Only Florida at one 800 8255033 uh first time caller line you're on the air hi hello going once are you there going twice gone east of the rockies you're on the air um, i'm calling from Huntsville Alabama and uh, i'm oh, well, ma'am, a I'm... problem here uh, i call the numbers that they give on the radio all night and i get uh, foreign people uh, calling and they want my credit card number, and they want all kind of information from me. Well, what? And uh, wait, wait, why are they calling you? Pardon me. Why are they calling you? There, I, uh, I was calling the numbers on the um, that were given on the air. The coast to coast numbers. By George Yale. Yes. Uh, the eight eight seven two seven five five zero five and the help number, and both of them have. Um, uh, it sounds like Oriental people. Okay, well, it's 5033, so you have the number wrong. one 800 and that's the number you just finally did get through to. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, I'm calling for my family who is in Florida. 
Okay, well, I, I appreciate that, sir, but uh, we're only taking calls from Florida on these numbers. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. 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 Yeah, this is uh, Florida calling. Where in Florida are you? I'm uh, I'm uh, in Punta Gorda, the one that got hit by the last hurricane directly across from where this one's going to hit. Yes, I'm quite aware of where you are, and uh, I know that you really got clobbered in the last one. Uh, we got, I was out of power for like eight days, and, and now this one's coming. I know they got another one, they say, coming. I've been watching the Weather Channel religiously, just like you, too. So right. Uh, now, I, I know that it's on the East Coast, but it, it this is this damn thing is the size of Texas. I know. It. And so know it's it. going to get to you before it it's even done you. with the East Coast. So, it, so. it reminds me of Bertha. I've been surfing for about 15 years, so I'm kind of an amateur weatherman, you know. And I'm t I, I got to say, it's good to talk to you, too, Art. I've been a big fan for a long time. Well, I'm glad to have you, and uh, and I wish you luck. Have any of the uh, the feeder bands begun to reach? You? Oh yeah, I'm, I just walked outside just a couple of minutes ago, and we we're get. I mean, my door on the inside. I'm on a stilt house, so this stilt house took 140 mile an hour winds and stood. So I'm not really worried too much about this one, but. It's moving so slow, we're just going to get flooded, you know. And the people over there in trailer parks, that I I feel sorry for them. I do too. Thank you very much for the call. All right, let's put a gorda where they got clobbered. That was uh, ground zero for the, the the last one. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. How you doing today? Okay, are you in Florida? Fort Myers, Florida. Fort Myers, huh? Uh-huh. All right. Well, all right. So what's up right now in Fort Myers? Well, pretty much wind gusts are a little bit up. I, just, uh, I was uh, also noticing how you were talking about how uh, retired hurricanes. Um, I actually was in Andrew not once but even twice. Yeah, they retire their names, I guess, like baseball players and football players who are stars, and they don't ever use them again. Yeah, pretty much the main reason why they do that, I you know, come to find out we did you know, reports and everything in high school about major hurricanes that hit. Hugo being one of them, uh, Opal is also another. Mainly the reason why they do it is because of the severity of the storm itself. They don't want to use the name again, mainly, you know, bad memories, I guess. I don't know exactly what the reasoning is, but I do know if it's a severe enough hurricane, uh, this one that's hitting now, Francis, I don't believe will be retired, but I do oh, know. Oh, I'm betting it is. I, it might. It, it, not because of how severe it was when it hit land, but because of how godforsakingly slow it's moving. It's moving, yeah. It's unreal. I've never seen something like this. Like I said, I've been, I've been a long-time Florida resident. Uh, craziness, uh, Andrew, it hit me twice. I was in Fort Myers, Florida. It, it came through the whole south part of Florida. We got hit by him. About 150 to 180 mile wind, wind gusts. It was horrible. And then, not even two days later, I go up to Fort Walton Beach, Florida, back where my mother lived, to uh, visit her. And sure enough, it comes right in the northwest panhandle, hits us again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think don't have too much of luck. Also, I was in uh, Fort Myers uh, during Hurricane Charlie, just not even two, two and a half weeks ago. Um, and one thing a lot of people don't realize is that uh, it gets crazy during those times. People, I guess, lose all sense of reality. They had looting going on in downtown Fort Myers. They had to, believe it or not, bring in the National Guard oh to direct traffic with M-16s. I mean, it, people, I guess, just lose their mind out that there. That alone is a, is a, thank you, is a sight to see. I've been in a number of South American countries uh, and some Asian countries where... You know, people with submachine guns walking around are a common sight. 
but they're not a common sight on the average American main street. That's for damn sure. And when you see them, it definitely gets your attention. East of the Rockies, you're on the, the air. Hello. American main Hello there. Okay, well, I guess not. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hi, Art. Hello. Hey, this is Dave. I'm calling from Dave City, Florida. Yes, sir. Uh, right now, we're getting a lot of high winds. We're, we're on the east coast, basically, uh, about 30 miles north of Tampa. Oh. And we're feeling uh, a lot of squalls and bad storms out here. I can only imagine what they're getting over there. Uh, it's going to get a lot worse there before it gets better. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised uh, there's not really a whole lot of coverage on it. Uh, as big as this thing is. Oh, there certainly is on the Weather, weather Channel and CNN. Uh, they're in just about constant coverage. And from what I could see, uh, CNN has their people in the more uh, perilous places at the moment, if I were to judge. Yeah, um, also I think it was George, maybe, who had uh, Sylvia Brown on a month or so back. Yes. She had a prediction about Florida being hammered by hurricanes one after another for like the next ten years, I think she said. Ten years? Yeah. I was worried about the next couple of weeks, but ten years? Yeah, one right after another, horrible hurricane season. So basically, Florida's incapacitated to like a big wasteland. Well, uh, her prediction is off to a really good start then, isn't it? Because uh, that's certainly what's occurred this year so far. And again, there is uh, yet another hurricane out of Africa, a well, I should say, out of Africa right now, and headed across the Atlantic uh, on a course that mimics the one you just saw a Francis uh, take, or is taking right now, but this, this business of marching right up to land and then stopping, boom, right there, and being sort of half on and half off, and it just does incredible damage. Even though it's a Category 2, it's, it's like a tornado that stays over one spot and just digs a hole in the ground. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. All right, how you doing? I'm doing all right, sir. Where are you? I'm in Fort Myers right now, actually driving in my car. Fort, oh, you're driving? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually driving, yes. Uh, are, you, they, are uh, you supposed to be doing that? I thought they had a curfew. Well, I'll tell you what, I am a fellow broadcaster uh, here in town, and um, and first of all, i got to just tell you how much I respect you. You just, just do a fantastic job. But <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm actually driving back from my job, and uh, right now I will tell you, it's it's been very eerie today because... Earlier in the day, the sun was out, there were some clouds, there wasn't a lot of breeze, it wasn't so bad. The thing about this storm that's so different from everything else that's been happening, Charlie, uh, is the fact that today everything was so calm. Right now, everybody in town has just been saying how nobody knows what's going on because it's lingering for so long. Yes. They don't know what's happening. Yes, I know. And then it, it gets late at night, it gets dark, and it really gets scary. If you're sitting at home alone, it's scary. And right now, it's uh, the winds are starting to pick up, yep. the rain's starting to come, and you get those, in Florida, you get those, you get like a um, uh, low clouds. You get very low clouds that move fast. You get the higher clouds that sit up, and you can see the low clouds moving, the ones that are sort of the bands that come across, and the winds are coming from the so you know if the winds are coming from the north and we're on the west coast of Florida, right. then that means where the storm is seems to be above us. So it's and it's it's not it's just the time that it's taking for this to happen. People are just 
waiting for something to, to go on. They're waiting. Charlie came so quick. Yes, this one's so slow. It's torture. It's, it's, it is. It's, it's unbelievable. And right now, it's sort of agonizing. They're the actually, that I talk you, to. you know, they're actually talking about it taking days for the, uh, the eye to make it from one side to the other. I could see that this storm could be worse than Charlie in the eye, in the fact that the rains, if this takes, if this takes 36 hours, let's say, just to get across the state, the rain that's going to come here, there's no, are, there's no place for this rain to go. That's the right. ground is so saturated, there's nowhere for the water to go. I, right. I really don't know what's going to happen. Listen, buddy, i got to go. We're out of time. Thank you very much. We'll continue to take calls from Florida in the second half of this hour. The first-time caller line is area code 775-727-1222. To talk with Art Bell from East of the Rockies, call toll-free at 800-825-5033. From West of the Rockies, call Art at 800-618-8255. International callers may reach Art Bell by calling your in-country Sprint Access number, pressing option 5, and dialing toll-free 800-893-0903. From coast to coast and worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Here it is, as of 1 a.m., or about 35 minutes ago or so, it was uh, the Hurricane Charlie was at uh, 27.2 north and 80.2 west near Seawalls Point, Florida. So it's actually coming ashore at that point. Seawalls Point, Florida, with winds of 105 miles an hour, moving west-northwest at 7 miles an hour, pressures 2835, an estimated 960 millibars, and this baby is moving slowly. Remember, we're reserving the first-time caller line and east of the Rockies for people in Florida only. Trying to get a taste of what's going on. More of that in a moment. Let's get right back to it if we can. First time caller line, East of the Rockies, reserved for people in the zone, the zone of wind and rain 
and frankly, uh, Hurricane Francis. Um, first time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Hi, where are you? Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm that... listening from 610 WIOD. Uh, I was hoping that WIOD would carry the program for this exact reason, because I know it covers up in that area very well. So we are on the air there. Cool. Well, actually, tonight I have to listen to another area station online uh... because they're, they're doing all the, uh, the weather. I thought they might be doing that. All right, all right, all right. So what's up where there where you are? Well, we we're right now we're getting a lot of wind and a lot of rain. I mean, we're just outside of that real bad area. Like I'm just a little bit south of West Palm Beach. Right. So you're close. Yeah, I'm. You, I'm you must be close. getting a lot of the rain bands as they yeah. come swinging around. Well, they they're saying anywhere between twelve thirty and two o'clock, and it's almost two o'clock now. So we should be getting a real bad one any time now. Oh, that's when they're predicting the very worst of it is going to occur. Yeah, from my area. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, so you're choosing, I take it then, to stay awake through this. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm a night person anyway. I listen to your show almost every single night. But you couldn't go, like, crawl into bed and just ignore this, could you? No way. There's too much noise. There's um, <laughs> some, like, like um, metal metal framing around the outside of my house, and it's rattling like hell, so. Yeah. Yeah, you don't go to sleep during that. Um, no. All it, right. It, it's really hard. All right. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate that. Do you have power there now, by the way? Oh, yeah. Um, power here is, is fine, and it's weird because... We have the above-ground power lines, right? and you would think that they'd go first. And my sister lives about 20 minutes north of where I'm at, and she's got the underground lines. Right. And she's lost power since 11 o'clock this morning. No kidding. So it's funny. Uh, and not, not funny at the same time. If you lose power in Florida, you're in a, a very humid, um, well, dark right now, and kind of scary environment. I mean, you've got to put yourself, you can only put yourself in the shoes of the people that we're hearing. I mean, this is this thing is raging around you in the middle of the night. It's what, uh, uh, going on uh, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning in Florida, and that's really frightening. It's a, it's a frightening situation. East, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, uh, I'm over here by uh, 95. Uh, by Palm City over here. Oh man, you're right in the, you're uh, in about yeah. the worst place you can be, sir. Where are you? Yeah, they got the uh, traffic stop now. I had to de deliver down here in uh, Rivera Beach a trailer load of water down there. I guess uh, they needed some water down there uh, for the shelters over there. But it, they told me to get out of there. But now they got the whole everything stopped. The wind's blowing. I don't know what's going on. You're so you're in a truck. You're in an eighteen wheeler. Yeah, I'm pulled over now. They got a, you got the whole traffic stuff over here by Highway uh, 609. I'm over here, all the 95. Well, tell me, uh, is there any concern on your part? I mean, you're not broadside to the wind, are you? Well, uh, yeah, I'm kind of sideways, but are, everybody huh? else is all all over the road, so it's Be not too bad. I, I'm not sure exactly what it would take. I, I guess if a truck like yours is empty. And you're broadside to the wind. I wonder what kind of wind it takes to actually tip over a truck like that. Oh, yeah. You see them all the time tipped over on 60, 70 mile an hour winds. It's blowing pretty good over here now. Well, it can easily, it's easily going to get to that or even worse where you are. So are you at all worried about, like, getting tipped over? Well, I'm going to do my best to get over here to this rest area and, and, and put my butt to the wind. Yeah. 
put your butt to the wind is right. Uh, yeah. Well, so in other words, all traffic now is stopped. Yeah, all traffic stopped. They got lights going out here. Everybody's running around. They don't know what's going on over here. It's it's crazy. I guess it's they said somewhere by some seawall point or something it's coming in, and I got to get north. I got to get going. Yeah, where where are you headed, and where are you coming from, and where are you going? I delivered down there in Rivera Beach. I'm going up there to Jacksonville now mm. just to get out of here. It, they told me I could probably make it, but I don't think so. I don't think so either. No. It's going to be a long wait in the night for you, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, all right, get yourself then in a safe place behind that truck stop if you can. Oh, yeah, I will. But to the wind. All right, thank you very much. That would be scary. To be in an 18-wheeler right in the middle of that. And, you know, there, there are a couple of spots. He was not far from Fort Pierce. A couple of spots there near Fort Pierce where they've measured wind already well over 100 miles an hour on the ground. So, yeah, that would be really, really frightening. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Where are you, please? I'm in North Sarasota in Florida. In, in Florida. Okay, welcome. How, how is it where you are? Uh, we're okay here right now. I wanted to grab this up. I was just looking forward to uh, your program this weekend because it's comforting. And I thought, well, Art Bell will be on Saturday night and Sunday night. It looks that way, yes. Right. But I uh, wanted to take this opportunity to thank the nation after Charlie... I was um, one of many volunteers in a farming community called Arcadia, which was just totally devastated by Charlie. Yes. And um, the nation responded with their heart. And we had all kinds of bottled water. America is a, uh, thank you, very generous place. Uh, when people get in trouble, we really do help each other out. And um, uh, th that will occur now as well. But, you know, it is my view that we're going to be facing an increasingly violent weather situation, that we're going to be in, uh, facing increasing uh, numbers of storms that are going to end up on average being larger storms. But you know my views on the weather. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, hi, Art. Uh, well, I'm on my way down to the hurricane. You're, uh, do, you're what? We're on our way. There's a hurricane party in Hope Sound. You're going to have you're a hurricane party? In other words, you're actually traveling to the hurricane to have a party? Yes, sir. Um, I'm also in the punk rock band, and we're going to film a video while the hurricane is going on. You are, huh? Yes, sir. Um, so it's part-time filming, part-time partying? Yeah, a little bit of both, uh, a little bit of business both. and pleasure at the same time there. Yeah, uh, you know, there, there have been stories, you know, of, of people deciding to party through a hurricane uh, that haven't made out so well. Yes, I've lost two or three friends over the years. Every year we follow the hurricanes. You, you've lost two or three of your fellow partiers? Yes. Yes, that's very sad. Uh, uh, but uh, some of us do wonder why uh, people would choose to have a party in a hurricane. Just well, it's uh, out of curiosity. It, it's uh, basically being face to face with the power of nature, God, mm. all of that. 
Well, I, I, I guess you know, I guess there is that in human beings. I would not choose. Well, you know, that's that's really a, a lie. I would. I really would. I used to chase tornadoes, and so there is. I I do understand his insanity. Now, going to have a party in a hurricane. I'm sorry. It is, in my mind, insanity. However, I share in some of that insanity, not to the degree of partying in a, in a very large, dangerous, potentially even deadly storm. However, I am fascinated by the weather. I always have been. I used to chase tornadoes, and we all know only crazy people really do that, right? Right. So I guess I do. Under I, was, I was prepared to be uh, shocked by what he said, but I guess I'm, I'm not really. There's something about something very attractive about it. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. Where are you? I'm in St. Augustine. St. Augustine. Uh, welcome to the program. Uh, we have uh, sustained winds now here at 45 miles an hour, and by the time I get off, uh, it will probably be up into the 60s. That's uh, that's a lot of sustained wind that's really a lot of sustained wind and no, you know if something doesn't I don't if, know if you can hear it or not I'm in a little guard shack here it's just a little seven by seven shack and it's so that's what you're gonna have to do during the, the hurricane you're gonna have to stand in a little shack well yes this is my, I'm a security officer and I'm here at a marina and uh, oh I, I heard some slamming in the background <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, that might not be the best job in the world to have right now, being alone in a little tiny shack in the middle of that. Well, I've got to come back. This is Sunday now. I've got to come back at 8 o'clock tonight, mm -hmm. and it will probably be raining cats and dogs when for the, my uh, shift. Oh, I, w I, w I would think there's that definite possibility, sir. Yeah, the reason... Uh, is your shack going to stay where it is? It has. I've been through three or four blows with up to 70 and 80 mile an hour winds in this little shack. So uh -huh. the uh. reason that uh, hurricane stalled, we got a high pressure up over Georgia and another one coming right down behind it, and that's why it stalled. And it's that's what's forcing it across the state. Yes, yes. Well, uh, whatever it is, it's absolutely awful for Florida. Isn't it? I mean, just to have like a hurricane half on and half off land is. Well, is my uh, my wife called me about eleven o'clock and said that uh, the lights, uh, her electricity, our electricity is off, and a friend of hers that works with my daughter, he he lives about uh, three or four or five miles this uh, east of where I live, and. All the lights are out on that sector now. Well, I hope that people will be careful because when the lights go out, thank you, uh, people begin to use, inevitably, candles. This is one of those moments where you ought to have one of those new LED flashlights. But So people start using candles, and then, of course, there is the danger of fire, and fire in the middle of something like this uh, is probably really tragic because, A, of the winds, and B, of the fact that... that uh, you know, the uh, fire department people may not be able to get to you in the middle of this mess. So it's an amazing hurricane. Absolutely an amazing hurricane. As it was going, the last picture I saw on the Weather Channel showed it cutting a sharp left. Now, I wonder how many of you saw that. In the last track, it looks like the hurricane was moving west-northwest and then suddenly went just straight 
west. And in she went. I'm told, um, coming ashore actually right now at New Seawalls Point, Florida. Although I'm also told that the eye of this hurricane's about 70 miles in diameter. 70 miles in diameter. That's one gigantic eye. That means there's going to be a very calm period for some. They should be in that right now, in the eye of the hurricane. Many of you ought to be in the eye of the hurricane. It's going to be a very calm period, and you're going to think, aha, the storm has stopped. But indeed, you're only in the middle of the storm. So be wary of that, east of the Rockies. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. This is Donna, and I'm calling from... Just south of Orlando in Osceola County. Ah, yes. Uh, Orlando is like a ghost town right now. It's awfully strange here. I'm about, I'm actually on Disney property, and I live in a little town called Celebration, and it's actually on the edge of Disney property. And um, we had an imposed curfew here at 2 o'clock, and no one's been able to go anywhere. But the odd thing is, is that the wind and the rain are not significant at this point. And we've been sort of waiting for this for two days. Yes. And everyone is, I think, getting, letting their guards down. I'm seeing a lot of people just really not thinking that it's coming at all. And I'm just hearing on the radio that we're the next counties that it's heading toward Polk and Osceola County. Well, um, my wife's brother, uh, Rodney, is in uh, the Orlando area. Mm-hmm. So uh, we get regular reports uh, from him, and of course uh, the last hurricane didn't treat y'all so well there. Didn't treat us real nice. No, wasn't real friendly. And here comes another one. Here and comes I, another one, and strike three right behind it. And strike three right behind it. Right. Uh, are people in Florida beginning to go? Um, hey, this is you know this is uh, this is not so such good year, is it? You know, it's so odd because a lot of people are. Uh, some of them that were lived in a town called Kissimmee, they were hit probably the hardest. The high school there, the the roof of the school was peeled back like a like a sardine can, and the school yes. is is basically in ruins right now. Um, they're trying to struggle and figure out what to do with that. The kids have missed a lot of school in there, trying to figure out how to make that up. And yeah, a lot of them are we're all kind of walking around like deer caught in someone's headlights right now. Well, I absolutely uh, appreciate your calling. I th- I thank you for it. And uh, well, it's been a real pleasure listening to you over the years too. So keep up the good work and tell George we all said hi. Okay, you take care and be safe there. Thanks, Art. Bye bye. First first time caller line. You're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Where are you? I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, Texas. Well, yeah. we were kind of reserving this away for Florida, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. I was wanting to ask you about the ET contact Paul Harvey talked about Thursday. Um, all right. Uh, Did you hear you, anything about that? Oh, yeah. So I certainly have. All right. Very briefly, uh, thank you. Thank you for asking. Uh, yes, of course I've heard about it. And um, do you recall, I wonder how many of you recall, not very long ago, months ago, I told you that we were copying a signal on 1420, uh, 1.420 megahertz, uh, or 1.42 gigahertz, depending on how you want to think about it. The SETI has, there's a story out that SETI may be receiving a signal on 1420, one that has repeated itself. Now, they don't have it enough to the point yet where they're willing to declare the fact that they are receiving an alien signal of some sort, and they always admit that it could be some other 
part of their own device or some terrestrial something, but they don't think so. Now, the fact is they have detected a signal as, as early as February of 2003 on 1420, and that is the exact place where I heard it and where a number of Canadians reported hearing it. So it's a fascinating situation. Could we be in contact? Are we in contact? Well, I don't know, but maybe. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello, Art. Hi, where are you? I live in uh, Clearwater, Florida. Clearwater. All right. How's everything going in Clearwater? Right. We're waiting for this thing to come across the state. And supposedly, you know, we don't know exactly where it's going to go, but it looks like it's going to hit us directly or right below us or right above us. Well, again, it's moving so slowly that even if you have winds that are of the 60 or 70 mile an hour variety and they're constant and they go on for a day and a night, a lot of damage gets done. I was going to ask you, uh, you said you're a a weather um, connoisseur. You like to watch the weather channel? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty weird with the weather. Did you know when it went from a Category 4 to a Category 2? Yes. I was watching... uh, the 700 Club, and uh, Sunday morning, or excuse me, Friday morning, this past Friday morning, about uh, 10.55 a.m., uh, Pat was praying that God would do something with this hurricane. Mm-hmm. Either send it out into the uh, ocean mm-hmm. or do something with it, right? Yes. Well, it went from a Category 4 to a Category 2. Well... Uh, I, I, I hope, you know what, I hope that the prayer that he was doing had that effect. And maybe it did. Who, who am I to say one way or the other? I, I, however, all of this can be looked at in many different ways. And, you know, had we done a mass thing with it, which I'm thankful we did not, those would say, well, look, it stopped, and now it's battering the hell out of the East Coast Florida. And that was an unintended consequence. Or they might say, well, it went from 4 to 2, and that did it. But we didn't do it, and it went from 4 to 2 anyway. Maybe it was Pat. All right, coming up, we'll switch gears and talk about something else, for which the rest of the country, I'm sure, is thankful. I'm Art Bell. Good morning. Wildcard line at area code 775-727-1295. 
The first-time caller line is area code 775-727-1222. To talk with Art Bell from east of the Rockies, call toll-free at 800-825-5033. From west of the Rockies, call 800-618-8255. International callers may reach Art by calling your in-country Sprint Access number, pressing option 5, and dialing toll-free 800-893-0903. Good morning, everybody. I'm Art Bell. We've been covering the hurricane for the last hour, and a bad one it is, just barely crawling across Florida. Coming up in a moment, remote viewing and a bit of a twist with Stephen Schwartz. Stay right where you are. You all know the big kick I've been on with mass consciousness, and this falls right into that category. Stephen Schwartz... Research Associate of Cognitive Sciences Laboratory of the Laboratories for Fundamental Research is one of the world's experts on the practical applications of remote viewing and other aspects of extraordinary human functioning. For almost 20 years, he was the research director and chairman of the Mobius Society. The laboratory carried out research into remote viewing, creativity, therapeutic intent, other areas of human performance. He is the author and co-author of over 30 technical papers, four books, I've got them listed here, numerous magazine pieces. He is the editor of the Schwartz Report, an international daily publication. He is former special assistant for research and analysis to the new chief of naval, op naval operations, editor of Sea Power Magazine, staffer of National Geographic Society. Wow! He is the founder of the Society for Anthropology of Consciousness, <laughs> the International Remote Viewing Association, and the International Society for the Study of Subtle Energies and Energy Medicine, and is a member of the Parapsychology Association. That's quite a list, Stephen. Welcome to the program. Hi, Art. How are you? That really is a pretty pretty good list there. Well, I'm getting older. Uh, yes, well, um, aren't we all? All right. Um, I guess the interesting place to begin is actually a lot of times I take the notes here and I just, you know, toss them away. But um, I like this. Something is happening in science, it says. We have uh, scientists on all the time here and as I listen to them it's uh, clear something is beginning to change in science I'm it's become extremely obvious to me the world is beginning to look a little different and I guess that's a focal point for you too in other words you realize that we have this monstrous change on hand huh yes we're going through a I think a substantial change in the way we view the world as working it's happened before you know I mean in the past there uh, we went through for a number of up until the 19th century. The the Bible was the principal scientific document, and um, uh, the Genesis meta paradigm, I guess that's the way to put it, was the principal way of looking at the world, and and it's changed. Uh, although, let it be said that you know not everybody changes. It's 43 percent of the American public still believes or believes that the world was created. Six thousand years ago in six days. So I know it's um, 
But we are changing. I think, particularly in science, there is an emerging, a new perspective. Um, is this emerging new perspective uh, directly in opposition to, well, for example, Genesis, uh, since you mentioned that? Uh, actually, uh, that sounds like a yes, and, and you don't want. It sounds like a yes, and you don't want to say it. <laughs> uh, no, well, actually, you know, to tell you the truth, I, I have to think about that because, I mean, in a sense, the, what's emerging is a worldview in which all life is interconnected and interdependent, and so at a certain level, that is uh, very biblical. Uh, in terms of, did the world get created six thousand years ago? Well, yeah, but it's, it's yeah, not. It's no. not specifically biblical, really. Not, well, not, not know. really. I mean, I, it's sort of just maybe biblical in scale, but not biblical in a literal sense. Well, you know, almost all, all uh, although we are now talking about things that are defined by science, I mean, that's the interesting point, is that science and ancient wisdom traditions, science and Buddhism, are, have a great deal to say to one another. How about science and Christianity? Do they talk a lot? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, no, actually, let me read. No, there is within Christianity, as there is in every major tradition, a, a, a an esoteric, a a spiritual pilgrimage path that is different than the sort of outer involvement. So, yes, yes, as a matter of fact, yeah. Let me within Christianity, there is a mystical tradition, and always has been. Well. I've interviewed uh, a lot of biblical sorts, many of them national leaders in the category, who absolutely believe that dinosaurs and men walked together I know. on the earth, Stephen. I know. It's, uh, a, it's astonishing. It's a form of, of um, it's a willful decision to, de to, to reject um, evidence, however compelling. Well, we've always had it. The earth is yeah. flat, right? Until yeah. it was made to be known to be round beyond all shadow of any doubt whatsoever. Nobody actually fell off the earth, despite rumors at the time. Uh, they didn't do it. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, does this mean that, that... What do you think it ultimately means for Christianity, Stephen? Does it mean that we have to have some wild interpretation of Genesis so that we can live with uh, both science and what's written in the Bible? Or, or, or how's it all going to settle out? Does Christianity have to, in effect, be rewritten? I think that Christianity is and always has had two tracks. The, the Pauline track, the, on Peter I found the church, and the, the, the track that is exoteric, that has to do with priests and structures and, and rules and social values, and the Johannine tradition of Christianity, which is saying you're, you're Gnostic, you're, you're experience, your direct experience of God, of the transcendent, however that comes to you, um, is the purpose of religious life. Hmm. And those two tracks have always existed there. They've always been present in the United States. And you think they will continue? You don't think absolutely. It, you don't think it'll be rewritten to accommodate what we know? No, I think we are experiencing a rise of fundamentalism throughout the world. It's not just it's not just Islamic fundamentalism. It's, I mean, they're not all the same. I'm not equating them, but the the 
fundamentalism as a factor in the social structure of countries is a is a uh, is a presence in a way that anybody who's over the age of 40 can remember when you were a younger man you did not there was not fundamentalism was not a factor in the world in the way that it is today and it's a, and it and it is a factor in countries of all persuasions uh, what is biblical in proportion, certainly, is stumbling into this mass consciousness incredible field that um, science is now uncovering. Yes. Um, I mean, it's just astounding what's going on and yes. what, what may be ahead that we just don't even have clues about. Well, we're beginning to get, as I say, this sense that that all consciousness is interlinked and interdependent. All right, is this that non-locality that everybody talks about? Is that what yes. you're talking about, non-locality? Yes. All right, so non-locality means... Well, non-locality originally comes from from a, an experiment or, or a, a, a theoretical paper that was published by Einstein with two other men, Rosen and Poldowski, who were also at Princeton with him. It was called... Um, can quantum mechanical description of physical reality be considered complete? And it it was really talking about uh, subatomic particles. I mean, it's it's talking about things at a very small scale. But what's interesting yes. is is that today, increasingly, that explanation at the quantum level um, is is not only explains but predicts the outcome of experiments. Okay, well, um, I, I don't want to lose the audience here. Let's try and explain. Uh, for example, let's see, could it, would it be true that the experiments of having one source of light in two places at the same time is a kind of a parallel? In other words, um, you could have an atom in one place and an atom a thousand miles away, and for some reason that we don't understand, they would both behave identically under certain experimental conditions. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, here's, here's the headline. Any two particles which have had a period of, of proximity that come from the same source were created at the same time, Yes, they have a relationship, a kind of memory of each other that's in, that is such that if one of them is affected, the other is affected, no matter how far apart they are, and no matter if they're traveling apart at the speed of light. All right, so, and, and so, so it doesn't matter what. The, the key is that it doesn't matter. Distance doesn't matter. Right, got it. Uh, and uh, that's exactly what we see, for instance, in remote viewing experiments. Distance doesn't matter. There, is there any way of measuring a time factor with regard to this information? In other words. If particle A here and particle B in a Moscow, right. X number of miles apart, uh, react instantly at the same time, right. conventional thinking says, well, you know, there's got to be a communication that's going on between particle A and particle B all those miles right. away, and we should be able to measure uh, eventually uh, the transmission beginning at point A and ending at point B, or the other way around, whichever way it's going. Yeah, but it's not a transmission. But it's, it's not. Okay, exactly right. It's not a transmission. Yeah, there's it's nothing. Something... There's not information is not being transmitted. It's, it has to do with the state 
of beingness of the thing. It's what Einstein called <laughs> spooky action at a distance. All right, the state of beingness. Now, that's a little difficult to grasp, but ju just the fact that these two things are interconnected and they, they both are being, they're both happening, so it's happening. This mysterious connectivity that we can't explain, right? Exactly. Let, let me see if I can... look. There is a very famous experiment, and it's called, um, oh, it's got a, such a strange name. Um, well, let me, I can't think of the name of the, of the researchers, but let me go past that and right. describe the experiment. It's an experiment in which they, um, two people sit and meditate together. And they meditate for about 20 minutes and, you know, period. And this was published, it's, it's called, ah, I have it, the Grinberg... It was published uh, in a physics journal, and these two people sit and meditate, and then they separate them. That is, they establish a common experience, just like two particles. And then they take one of them and they, they monitor, they hook them up to a, a, a brain monitor, and, what, and put them in a Faraday cage so that there can be no transmission, no electromagnetic transmition. <laughs> yes. And, and then they put the other person who, the, of the team that was meditating together in another Faraday cage, and they found that when the brainwave patterns of the person who was being monitored uh, were the same as the person who was uh, the... Yeah, which is completely impossible. Now, a Faraday cage, yeah. a Faraday cage, folks, blocks all RF, blocks all radio frequency, all, all electromagnetic radiation, whatever kind of radiation. But you know, Stephen, maybe they don't have the right kind of cage. I mean, that's to block radiation that man knows about, and maybe the radiation. Ah, yes. Well, that's the point. Yes, I agree with you. That's that's it. It's not happening at the. Uh, uh, it's not happening in the electromagnetic spectrum. Right. Years ago, uh, I did a submarine experiment with, uh, uh, and I asked Russ Targ and Hal Putoff, who were at SRI, to, and Ingo Swan. Oh, I heard about this. And we, uh, my idea came from looking at research when I was uh, working in the Navy, and and I was able to get this submarine, and, and we put uh, two remote viewers down, at the bottom of the, or hanging actually midway in the sea, so they were surrounded by all this seawater, and we asked them to describe where people were who were randomly told to go in certain places, and they were able with amazing amount of detail to, to do so, and yes. they couldn't, that would not be possible if it was a radio phenomena, because we know exactly how much seawater um, well, we know shields against radio transmission. Well, yes, uh, <laughs> but not that. But but we also know. I mean, let's let's roll over this. There are antennas in the Midwest that yeah. are, that are able to transmit submarines deep That's underwater right, at, at an extremely right. low baud rate. It's, uh, it's called ELF. That's right. And it was created as a thing called Project Sanguine. In fact, that's why I was able to do this experiment because the government had spent $125 million figuring out exactly what the penetration rate of extreme low-frequency radio frequency was and how deep it would penetrate and how much information you could get across. And it was, uh, so we had an exact depth, 
And we knew that if you went past that depth, that the amount of information that it would take to respond accurately to the remote viewing couldn't be gotten through the water in the time allotted. And, and, and we knew that because that was the research that was the basis for creating Project Sanguine, which was the way the Navy spoke with the, the missile submarines that, that go down and don't come up again for six months. And yet, Stephen, there, there is an information exchange that's occurring. There has to doesn't there have to be? I, I guess there doesn't have to be, and I guess that's what I've got to reach out and finally understand. There doesn't have to be, but my mind can't grasp that fact. I'm thinking at a frequency we don't understand, at a, in a realm or even a dimension we don't understand. This communication is taking place. We're Maybe gonna... the information... See, to, to say that the information transfers implies a spatial relationship. Yes. Suppose... Suppose we're all workstations on the cosmic Internet. I mean, you're sitting at your computer in Pahrump, well, then I'm going and to I'm sitting at my computer in Virginia Beach. And fine, we're going to exchange information at the speed of light. That's right. So suppose, just as an, just as an analogy, we were all workstations on a kind of cosmic Internet. So you don't have any transfer. This is an, an, uh, this is an Internet that has... No dimension. It's not time or space. It's just uh, it's a state of beingness. I just for one of a, I mean I know that's a hand waving term, but yeah, just for yeah. one of anything else, it is a state of beingness in which we all share. In fact, all life forms from the simplest little single cell all the way up. Anything that's alive. That's part of what being alive is about. And there's there's a lot of experimental evidence for this. That's what's intriguing about it. I mean, if you look at Experiments that, for instance, have been done, Helmut Schmidt's experiments involving uh, uh, fish or uh, oh, William Broad's experiment uh, involving well, no, electric fish. Roll back, fish. what fish? Well, um, Helmut Schmidt is a very interesting physicist. He's one of the real pioneer researchers in consciousness, I think. Mm -hmm. And he designed an experiment in which he had a nuclear... Uh, isotope that was decaying in what by definition is a random way mm -hmm. and he recorded onto the uh, onto six chips the information of those of those particle emissions as clicks so when a uh, when a particle went off a click occurred on the thing and so right. if you played it back what you would get would be click 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 Click, 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 click. You gotcha. know, it's random, so gotcha. it would be if he clicks. Right. And he ran this thing for uh, months and recorded the information on the six chips. And then what? The fish and then finally he, well, he, Then he kept it? one chip, and he sent the other five chips off and he, to scientists who were friends, and, and he said, just lock this up and forget about it and don't play it. Just lock it up. Yes. And then he asked, then he had a computer randomly select out of that long period of time that he had been recording these clicks to select just a particular 30-minute period during all those months. Yes. And, he, and he, ha he brought people in. This was some weeks, months later, after the clicks had been recorded. Now, the clicks are in the past. And he said to the people, I'm going to play this thing for you, to, and, and you're going to hear clicks. 
and your task is, and he went over to the computer, and he asked the computer, should they make more clicks or less clicks? The computer had a random number generator that decided that. Real quick, we're coming up on a break. Okay, and so they said, make more clicks, and they found out people could do it. <laughs> and at first they thought, well, maybe it's just that they're sort of psychokinetically affecting the chip that he's working on. So yeah. if that were true, then if you got the other five chips, then they would sound different. So yeah. he went and got the other five chips and played them, and they sounded just like the first chip. Ooh. Therefore, it was not psychokinetic. But it was, he, a, it was a connection uh, we cannot explain. Click, click, click. Stephen Schwartz is my guest. We're talking about remote viewing, mass consciousness. I'm Art Bell from the high desert in the middle of the night. Take care out there in Florida. The first-time caller line is area code 775-727-1222. To talk with Art Bell from East of the Rockies, call toll-free at 800-825-5033. From West of the Rockies, call Art at 800-618-8255. International callers may reach Art Bell by calling your in-country Sprint Access number, pressing option 5, and dialing toll-free 800-893-0903. From coast to coast and worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. It is, and I'm a little like a bulldog with a piece of red meat in my mouth when I get a hold of something like this that fascinates me so dramatically. Tomorrow night, Robert, make that Rupert Sheldrake. Uh, Sheldrake is the guy who did the experiments with the dogs. Do you remember that, dogs? who absolutely through a precognitive message, <laughs> I'm reaching here with the word message, or just this common connection with their owners, knew exactly when their owners are coming home. He did all those experiments, and he's saying that uh, intuition, precognition, and telepathy are not paranormal, but they're just normal things that uh, human beings are endowed with, but 
they don't use them. They don't turn the switch that allows these things to come on. This great connectivity that we're talking about tonight with Stephen Schwartz is probably the conduit, and even conduit is the wrong name for whatever in the hell it is that connects A with B, but it's a powerful force. Believe me, it's a powerful force. We'll be right back. Stephen, I I discovered or stumbled into uh, all of this that we're now talking about, I guess, uh, back with this this incredible series of experiments that I did that proved to me personally, and I think most of the audience who went through it uh, and listened to it on the radio, that this is absolutely real. This whatever it is we're talking about right now, right. it's not BS. It's real. No. It's absolutely real, and and how much we have yet to do, I, I have a feeling we're just on the very outer fringes of beginning to even discover that it, it's a real force, it's a real thing, uh, but understanding it, nah, not yet, and being able to direct it, I don't think we're quite ready for that yet, but maybe you feel differently, do you? Uh, I think that uh, remote viewing has gone from an obscure laboratory protocol into a social movement. There's now, you know, just do a Google. I mean, there's like 140,000 websites that come up on a remote, do quote remote viewing, end quote. Right. It's amazing. And I started following this in September of 1991. There were uh, about 30,000 sites, and I thought that was pretty amazing. It's been growing at the rate of about 3,000 a month. And it's up to uh, like 140, 150,000 now. All right. We all know the CIA... You know, and the the guys in government had this locked behind closed doors for about 20 years. Now it's been out in the public for quite a while. And well, my, it's my, always been, you know, it's, the truth is, Art, that it's always been out there. I started doing it at the same time as SRI. I started Mobius, and and we did, I wouldn't do classified research. I just, that's just a personal decision. I don't make any judgment about anybody. But well, I just, why not? Because I thought that anything that involved human consciousness that... that that you discovered ought to be shared with everybody, huh. and it ought to just be out there and and not worry about. I just didn't. But I understand the difference. They were. I was using it to locate archaeological sites. They were using it for intelligence work, and I, and and that has had the unintended or perhaps unforeseen consequence that it's made it attractive to a lot of men. Well, Road viewing attracts as many men as women, which is un extremely unusual yes. in the sort of extraordinary human function. Well, here's, here's something I don't understand, Steve. Let's see if you can uh, break okay. it down for me. If remote viewing, uh, well, after all, the experiment ended, ostensibly ended, by the government, we, we are told. And yeah, the government it, stopped a long time ago. Yeah, so I'm told. Yeah. Now, they did, I think. Maybe. Maybe, well, but I mean, if it if it really worked uh, at the time, there were some who said it was stopped because it wasn't effective. Well, Jimmy right. Carter, you know, they asked Jimmy Carter what was the most amazing thing that you saw when you were president, and his answer was to describe a remote viewing experiment in which they located a down air, downed aircraft. Now, it, when, when did he say that? Uh, you know, I could get you this. I will get you if you like, and you can post it. The citation for that. I actually uh, it's yes, in I, an I interview like that. that he he was asked it in an interview. That is an amazing quote. I, I frankly didn't know he said that. Yeah, I mean, 
the, the truth is the remote viewing what, what we call remote viewing is a protocol for allowing this this sense of awareness that all living organisms have all people have it's a protocol for allowing this to emerge into your conscious mind think of it as a kind of a mental martial art or a, a, a kind of mental yoga, yoga for the mind. That's really what remote viewing is. But it, the it, government had it for 20 years. Was it effective or was it not effective? It was effective. If it was effective, then I find a hard time believing the CIA uh, would kick it out the door. Well, it's wh why don't we do stem cell research? I mean, it's perfectly clear that it has all kinds of of benefits and the reason we don't is that we've made a social judgment or the current administration has made a social judgment you're right about we're not going to fund that kind of research that's and right. I think that exactly the same thing happened with remote viewing it, it, it offended a lot of people's idea of how the world worked it's very scary if you think about it well stem, but, but, okay but wait a minute Stephen. Okay. stem cell research which you yes. mentioned uh, offends people because to some people it means taking a life they believe that's a life those stem cells are taken from now in, in the case of remote judgment. where is the equivalent for remote viewing they are both social judgments you make evaluations is this is there some other compelling reason why we should not do this yeah but is it fear-based i mean are oh, it's people absolutely fear-based they're afraid oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're it's afraid of remote viewing yeah re remote viewing is fear-based why well, because it means that there are no secrets. Think about it. I mean, if you if you accept the premise that all consciousness is interlinked and interdependent, and that you have the capacity to obtain validatable, testable information, you yourself have had the experience. You know, the the, the reality is is that most people who do this for the first time have a sufficiently positive experience that they want to pursue it you are a living example of that well i i may be but the part that i can't well, grasp is the cia does not have the oh ethical moral worry about using remote viewing nor would i imagine they're afraid of it if absolutely. it really if it really tells them what the enemy is doing there are doing. people who are in the congress who would who would see it as satanic satanic yes and would and would block any research that they found out about on this okay. for the same reason that they would block other kinds of research because okay. they make moral social value. I can take a bite out of that one. Okay, so uh, some view it as satanic. You're quite right. I've I've had people on this program, sure. even people of the cloth, who have suggested it might be satanic. It's all nonsense. It's 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 a it's a natural form. Of, it's a natural part of being alive. It's present in all cultures, all genders, uh, across all times and all geography. It's present everywhere. It is a function. The earliest recorded remote viewing experiment, which is essentially indistinguishable from a modern-day experiment, was, rec was recorded uh, in the 5th century B.C. and involved uh, King Croesus, of whom we derive the term as rich as, who, who did the first recorded outbound remote viewing experiment. If I had a witch here right now, Stephen, a, mm -hmm. wi a witch, a witch yeah. would say exactly the same thing. She, uh, oh, yeah. she would say, Art, 
Witchcraft is as old as man. Witchcraft is as natural as the wind and the sun and the earth. It's it's nothing but that. What it, would you agree with that with regard to witchcraft? Uh, no. I w- what I would say is is that the portion of witchcraft, the portion. I know this. Nobody will. People only hear headlines, but. Let me say it a third time. The portion of witchcraft, which involves the idea that all consciousness is interconnected and interdependent, is correct. Is the part that is correct. The rest of it is ritual, mm. and you do it for whatever reason you do it. And that same idea of interconnectedness and interdependence occurs in every spiritual path. But if they in ble- history, if they believe that, Stephen, and the ritual represents the intent, that's then- how you get make the contact. We develop rituals that give us permission to open ourselves up to this here, here. This, this channel. Here, here. Uh, you're right. But what, what I, where I was going is that from then it might be that witchcraft is real. Uh, in other words, if, if there is that kind of mind ability and there's the intent to get something done or have something done to somebody, uh, it can work. Yes. We have experiments. We know it works. There are all kinds of prayer experiments that demonstrate that you yes. can pray right. for people, even if they don't know you're doing it, and you don't know who they are. All you have is their name. There are studies. There's something like Larry Dossie and I compiled about 200 peer-reviewed refereed journal articles on prayer. There are studies that show Carol Nash at the University of Pittsburgh, for instance, that show that if you send negative energy to cell colonies, that you will affect them more than a control group that they're compared against. And if you send positive energy, okay. you will get, you will cause them to, to change compared to a control group. And the positive change will be more powerful than the negative change, but the negative change will still be significant. Right you are, Stephen. Um, so, hmm, let's think about this then. Um, it, witchcraft is real witchcraft is a ritualized way of making contact with this aspect of uh-huh. the self and you could also and do you it said, with buddhic meditation or and, right. or sufi dancing and you or, said prayer is real right it yes, works absolutely. prayer works but but here's the 64 million dollar statement okay prayer prayer sincere intent directed yes. works whether god's name is used or not that's right? correct Okay, well, that's satanic. No, well, I mean, it's satanic <laughs> if you're a fundamentalist, I suppose, yeah, in a way. That's right. That's yeah, right. But, uh, that's correct. If, what we discover, what, what we call therapeutic intent, that is the, the intent to have a therapeutic effect on the well-being of another that's right. via a mechanism that is unknown. And by that very same mechanism, people can make themselves well yes. or sick and die. Yes, absolutely. In fact, if you there have been two major meta studies of the of the placebo research, and what they discover is that placebo is about thirty five in about thirty five percent of the cases over all the placebo studies, that in about thirty five percent of the cases the people do as well or better on placebo than they do on the same medication, than on the actual medication. So all it means is, it's like voodoo. It, it means that the person taking uh, the placebo thinks they're going to get better because they think this is good medicine, and so they take it, and by God, they get better. Yes, and there are even surgical placebo studies 
that show the same result where they did false they did surgeries but they uh, that is they made the incision but they didn't actually do anything and in, there are two studies that I can think of right off the top boy that's really nasty you mean uh, yeah they would be <laughs> cut very somebody hard to open a human experimentation <laughs> committee today but anyway they did do it one was for Angina pectoris, uh, you know, uh, uh, they did uh, a legation. You mean where they just cut the person open and then the person well, don't know what's going on. They sew them up and don't do a damn thing and they get better. Yes. Yes, <laughs> just like any placebo. And what is that telling us? That is telling us that our consciousness, how do you know what, you don't know anything about how some disease operates in your body. That's right. Nobody does unless right. they've gone to school and studied it for a long time. So how do these people know that the medication that they're taking is going to produce a specific kind of results so that they can produce as good or better a result than the people who got the medication. The answer is is that consciousness clearly has the capacity to control bodily function down to the cellular level. Here's something that uh, one of my guests told me once, Stephen, that I've been practicing, and I think it has value. You close your eyes, and you imagine white, light washing down mm -hmm. on you and purifying you from head to toe you just you, you yes. force your imagination and cleansing your body and getting rid of whatever it is that ought not be there whatever i think that stuff works and i actually use that yeah so do i i i have made four cds anybody who wants them can go to the web my website i've done four cds one of which is an healing uh, a healing experience very much along the lines of what you're talking about. It invokes everything that we have learned in the laboratory research. There's no question that individuals have the capacity to bring about what we would call psychophysical self-regulation, but basically you can help your body by the consciousness that you hold, and you can also have an effect on other people's consciousness. And I made these CDs so that you would actually take people through these experiences because they, you're quite right. I, I use them too, uh, and they work. Well, most important know, part. In, in a lot of ways, you know, this is going back to the primitive world, uh, Stephen, where, you know, tribes, some old tribes that have been isolated from society somehow have come to know these things and do these rituals. Right. And here we are sort of rediscovering it in the modern world and just talking a little differently about it. That's right. That's exactly right. Science is discovering what, what ancient spiritual traditions like Buddhism, for, as an example, have known, or, or Hinduism, have known for thousand, a, a thousand years, several thousand years. I mean, the, this idea, there are, there are two classes of phenomena, basically. There is what we, we can call anomalous perception. That's anomalous knowing. We don't know what the mechanism is, but it's a, it comes in two parts. There's sense impressions, that is, what does the color taste touch, or there's just the sense of knowingness. Only a very few people actually are able to visualize. And the other phenomena is anomalous perturbation, and that's consciousness having an effect on, on either a mechanism or another living organism. And we know from studies and that have been done over and over and over again that the consciousness of one person has the capacity to affect the well-being of another. Yes. More than that, there is a reason why all religions have a sense of healing prayer and make it a part of their, their, um, 
their rituals. I mean, they do it because over long periods of time, they observed that it made a difference. That it worked. Yes, it was worth preserving. They weren't in a scientific argument. They just observed people got better. So, yeah, we'll do that. How do you feel about the use uh, of mass consciousness to achieve some large result? Now, we've got a hurricane raging in Florida right now. Oh, you mean moving the weather? Well, I mean, for example, tampering with something, the force of a hurricane. That scared the you-know-what out of me, and so I stopped doing it a number of years ago, but because I, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about unintended consequences. That, yeah, that's a very good thing to be concerned about. You think so, huh? You betcha. Mm. We understand dimly and darkly, through a glass darkly, how the, 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 the complexity of these systems, and if you twiddle with them, Mm -hmm. You often produce unintended consequences mm -hmm. that are as bad or worse mm -hmm. than the, uh, you know, because you just don't understand. So uh, that's I, again, I, that's why most traditions have a have a an invocation of some kind that it's not my will, but it, you know, it's not my will, but thine. It's that the great force or the the transcendent deity or whatever it is, you know, however you want to express that, the Christ Spirit, whatever that. You uh, surrender to that process, that you, you're surrendering to the collective. And they all have that because of that exact problem. Uninten unintended consequences is a very big deal. As we see hundreds of times, look at the, what's going on in the current elections with the, the, uh, uh, the 527's the funding apparatus. That all you came could, out of yeah. what was supposed to be an attempt to correct the well, it's all about mass intentions. Yes, uh, it is, the, absolutely. The 527s. Uh, all right, uh, hold, hold tight. We'll be right back. This is Saturday night, isn't it? I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. Talk with Art Bell. Call the Wildcard Line at area code 775-727-1295. The first-time caller line is area code 775-727-1222. To talk with Art Bell from east of the Rockies, call toll-free at 800-825-5033. From west of the Rockies, call 800-618-8255. International callers may reach Art by calling your in-country Sprint Access number, pressing option 5. And dialing toll-free, 800-893-0903. From coast to coast and worldwide on the Internet, 
This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. It is, and beyond the coast, too. Uh, wandering Skipper, a pseudonym in Vancouver, B.C., writes, Hey, Art, regarding your opinion on mass consciousness experiments, your viewpoint is well-founded, but there's a big flaw in your logic. How can one understand better without exploration, be it you or future Art Bell? Practical exploration is inevitable. Yes, yes, I suppose so. But, you know, when you're teaching a child about a gun, and it's my personal view that teaching them is better than letting them wonder, you don't let them take it in their hand, point the barrel at their head, and pull the trigger to find out what the mechanism does, right? You instruct them first. That's the whole idea. Get to know it's dangerous, a very dangerous thing that could take your life, and then it's less likely to as one point of view and happens to be mine. So, you know, we'll ask Stephen about all this in just a moment. I mean, yes, there's going to be more experimentation. How is it best done? kind of like having a hydrogen bomb and saying, hey, Frank, let's play with all the shiny little buttons on the control panel. <laughs> uh, Stephen, welcome back. Um, How are you? It's a valid question. How we proceed uh, with responsible experiments to find out what can and can't be done with all of this? I think that's a very good question. Hmm. I think the answer is, is it life-affirming? Uh, well, look, turning a hurricane away from the coast would be life-affirming, but yep. maybe it wouldn't work out the way you intended. That's so, the point. I mean, scientifically, how do we progress with this? Is it life-affirming? Well, we hope so, but, but at what scale do we experiment to find out about things? I think, you, you know, this has been a perennial problem as long as science has existed. You have to... In a certain way, you have to rely on the integrity of the people who are playing the game. And, you know, over the last several hundred years that they've been at it, um, I mean, we don't have a bad track record. There are some bad guys. I mean, they're, you know, Nazi scientists and things, but they actually are fairly rare. The, the truth is is that most people who get into this um, are deeply motivated people. Uh, there's only a relatively small number that that are, I would say, ethically compromised. Yeah, well, we spend a lot of time thinking uh, about this small number of people, and from our point of view, uh, the fundamentalists who want to kill us and destroy our buildings, they would be a group of people with very sharp, strong intent. Yeah, not life-affirming. Yes, they do have strong intent. You know, if you think about it, I mean, th this is a, 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 a virtual state. This is like we are having a war with a virtual state. They don't have any geography. They are, they are a point of view. And, and what is particularly interesting about this is that what makes America distinct is that it is, a, it is an idea. Yes. You know, if you go to Italy, the people are uh, Italians. I mean, they've been there a long time, and there's a lot of history, and, and it's a genetic pool of people. I mean, what makes Germans different than Frenchmen? It's culture and genetics. And, um, and, so they, and they come out of deep bases that come out of tribal things. America has always been an idea. The founders created an idea. And, and when you come to the United States, 
you stop being whoever you are. You know, you could live in Germany for the rest of your life, and if you're Turkish, you are never going to be German. But if you come to the United States, doesn't matter who you are. If you subscribe to the idea, then you're an American. Yep. Yep. And and it's uh, that's that makes a lot of difference. Plus, there's one other thing. America is the only country in which one race fought a war against amongst itself, a kind of family feud, literally brother against brother, over the status of another race. Yes. <laughs> that is amazing. There is no other example of that in history that I know of. Oh, well, except on the negative side. Oh, yes. Oh, Lord, yes. I mean, the negative side's well populated. So, you know, I mean, you're right about that. And we, we are an idea and a concept and a very, very strong one with, with basic precepts that uh, seem so universal. Freedom, individual, freedom and responsibility and, and all, all of that. Oh, yes. Yes, and the guys we are fighting are also motivated by an idea. They're not even physically proximate to one another. Well, they are a virtual state. Yeah, here's the they thing. have a very strong intention. Yeah, so strong. <laughs> I mean, if you, me if you measure their apparent intention against even, well, say, the Nazis, for example, I judge this to be even stronger than the Nazis, the, the yeah. level of intent of people you. who will blow themselves up and, yeah. and so forth and so on. The intent is incredible. So That's right. So, uh, I, agree, I agree with you, Art. Yes. I think that there, this is a group of people, the like of which we have not seen for a very long time and have never seen pre previously on an international scale. Here, here. Where the principal weapon is people who, women who are willing to blow themselves up. Absolutely. People who are willing to blow their children up. That too. I mean, this is just incredibly strong. So, um, how how much uh, how much do we assign to the importance of the level of the strength of the intent? I think intent. This is the realm of the will. That's my personal view. I yeah, can't. Yes. I can't support this science. I mean, I can't cite experiments exactly, but as I can in other things. I'm just wondering how strong an ingredient intent is. Intent is will. Is think of it as power, energy, spirit, whatever it is you want to, whatever word works for you, directed by will. That's intent. And if you, um, if your will is strong and you are willing to commit everything to it yes you are a an irresistible force in some ways I mean you can get at anybody look at the guy that assassinated Gandhi yes yes so that's what we're facing an intent of that magnitude people who worship death um these are I... people who believe that that it is a positive good to martyr yourself, yes, and that and that people who do that ought to be revered as heroes. Oh, that's right, uh, and they believe there's a great reward that awaits yes. them for all of this. Yes. So, so uh, intent again is incredibly strong and 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 important and, and important. That's what I was searching for. It's an important aspect of. Whatever it is that we're directing, or that's right, and that's why, in order to resist terrorism, we have to live our idea 
what what concerns me is that as an expression of mass consciousness is that fear is a wonderful short-term motivator you know i mean if if a lion is coming after you or something you have a real strong uh reason for moving as quickly as possible you sure do um but as a long-term strategy it doesn't work very well and and what concerns me is that what uh, what we ought to be doing is demonstrating the integrity of who we are. Isn't that what you're supposed to actually do in front of a lion? Not move fast. That if you run, the lion is more yes, likely you to run. The lion just sees thinks of you prey. as prey, and boom. That's right. Yes. Yes. And actually, that's just to carry that analogy. That's pretty good. I didn't think about that, but that's true. <laughs> is that we need to just stand still and be who we are and face the fear. Yes. And and. You know, if you look at it in terms of just as a war, I mean, 19 guys and $500,000 were able to bring the largest power on earth to its knees in many ways. I mean, it has altered our lives in thousands of ways, great and small. It has, yes. It's just, it's astonishing. I mean, if you were a terrorist, and you looked at what did it cost you? It cost you the lives of 19 people and $500,000. I mean, we've spent $200 billion in Iraq. So uh, that they were able to accomplish this for uh, what is reputed to be $500,000 from their point of view means that they have been very successful. Yes. Absolutely, yes. And what does that portend uh, well, Stephen, or do you even want to venture into that territory? That, that I think level. We are, I, I think the. I think by attacking, we we set up a recruitment program that we're going to have to pay a big price to dismantle. Our strength is to be people of absolute integrity who do what they say and say what they do, but who look at the source of this problem. You're is not killing endlessly killing terror with terrorists in some Orwellian war that has no end. The, the answer to this is to produce cultures, to help the nurturing of cultures that will make people choose differently. You know, if you look at one thing, just look at, at population. What we now see from 15 years ago is that the greatest, most powerful contraceptive in the world is an educated woman. As you educate women, they choose to have fewer children. And it happens whether it's in a rich country or in a poor country like Bangladesh. So that tells us something. That's a data point. If we emphasize the things which are the greatness of our idea... You say it's education. Other people say it's selfishness. That, that they don't want to have children? Uh, that, um, that modern women, uh, particularly in industrialized nations that are fairly well off and we fit squarely in that category. Oh, that's a different level. You're um, talking about people are who having, are much further down the line. Are having fewer children because their quality of life is higher without so many children. Yeah, it's uh, uh, an educated Bangladeshi housewife in a small village understands now that, that, um, She'll do better if she limits the number of children she has. That's recent news. I didn't know she and they, had and decided they don't. that. I mean, the, the, the birth rate has dropped enormously. Mm -hmm. So we know we can affect social change. We know people don't smoke anymore. 
when you were 20 years old, everybody who knew smoked, right? Be careful here. I still smoke. Well, I don't care. I mean, but, but everybody you knew smoked. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's right. Okay? Yes. Today, smokers are a minority. I don't care whether you smoke. That's yes, fine. I know. I'm, yeah, not, I'm not having moral judgment. I'm just simply we are saying a, that... We are a persecuted a minority. They are being persecuted. Yes. I agree with that, by yes. the way. Yes. But, but, but the point is that we have affected social change. We have done it in... We, people exercise in ways that they didn't exercise, because we know that it's important for heart health. If it gets any worse, I'm applying for federal discrimination action. <laughs> it is. It's very sad, you know, to see those few people clustered out under the eave of some building in the rain. It really is. It seems very unfair. <laughs> yeah, That's true. You all are a person. You need not know. get on my side. That's quite right. Um, so that's affected social change. I mean, you're right we about that. We can do it. That's my point. We can do this by emphasizing the things which are life-affirming and that, that, are, that work with liberty and self-empowerment of individuals and groups, which is the core. You know, the thing that the Tocqueville said when he came here in the 1830s was, Americans are a people who have an absolutely committed belief in the fact that human beings can make their lot better. All right. Uh, here's a straight-on question for you. Uh, exactly how good is remote viewing? How much better is remote viewing than a 50-50 chance for anything? Um, you, you should expect to see, in an average remote viewing, just sort of over a period of time, you should expect to see about 75 to 85 percent of the material be evaluated as correct or partially correct. It is possible under under controlled conditions to produce a 95% probability of accuracy. All right. Well, I was going to say, I've had remote viewers on the program who say, look, Art, with a trained remote viewing crew, that means, you know, six or eight remote viewers who are really good, when they get a certain percentage of agreement, among the remote viewers, uh, they, they put it in the high 90s. Some claim 100% that they, they just flat can't be wrong past a certain point. Uh, well, I've never seen 100% accuracy in anything. It's certainly not maybe an, an individual thing, but, but, but I, what I would say, and I'm willing to back this up with published papers, I mean, anybody that's interested can go up to my website and get them, yes. is that, in the, in the, for instance, the archaeological stuff, we, we evaluated each concept that was offered by a remote viewer. So, in, for instance, if they said uh, the man sitting at the microphone um, on the ball, right? Yes. If they said that would be, that's one sentence, but it's man sitting, microphone, ball. That's like four concepts. And so if each of those concepts is evaluated as correct, partially correct, incorrect, can't be evaluated, we expected to see of the part that could be evaluated, there's a certain percentage you just can't evaluate, but of the part that could be evaluated, we expected it to be between 75 and 85% accurate. All right, let's see. Here's, and that here, ran over about 20 years. Yeah, but here's what I just can't digest, and this is like a rewind okay. to a little while ago, uh, Stephen, and that is that if, if the message could be, for example, man, bomb, flight 1125, well, you wouldn't get flight 11. All right, well, whatever. Um, uh, get close enough so that it would be useful information for 
the FBI or whoever else would stop this kind of thing, then this would be in use today. And the fact that it's not in official use seems beyond well, would, all reason to me. Uh, well, I, I, I would agree. It's not about reason. It's not a rational decision. I mean, I will tell you that I had 47 people who had never done remote viewing who came to a seminar that I taught last year. I asked them on the 3rd of November to locate and describe Saddam Hussein, where Saddam Hussein would be captured and discovered by the coalition or U.S. forces. And came up with what? And came up with sufficient information that, you could, that, as I was told by one of the officers, you could have driven to the place. And I'll send this to you. <laughs> I had it all notarized, put in a bank vault. Okay, see, that's a, that's a precise example, I mean, an exact example of why they would be using it. They don't have... Look, RCIA ain't that moral. They ain't that ethical. Well, it has ethical. nothing to do with morality. It's not about morality. It's about your worldview, the idea that that uh, people ought not to be able to do this. Are you serious? I mean, yes, absolutely, I'm serious. Okay, fine. That, that would be the average person's fear. But you're going to tell me that's a CIA executive who needs to know secrets more than anything else in the world. He needs to know these things. Well, let me tell you, I've been doing this for 20, uh, almost 30 years now. Uh, actually, for 30 years. And I have used the remote viewing and compared it against side scan sonar and magnetometers and satellite photographs right. and all kinds of other electronic remote sensing. Right. And I will tell you, and I am prepared to back it up. And again, you can go get the papers. I mean, this is, this is all written down. It's all witnessed by dozens of people. It's all, you know, blah, blah, blah. That if I had only one way to go look for something, I would use remote viewing. You're that confident? Absolutely. And that includes, would that include a dead body? Uh, you, you mean, if somebody said, can you locate a dead body? Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I, I'd have to know a little more about it, but given the right set of circumstances, yeah, I think you'd have... In fact, I've located dead bodies. So that doesn't it doesn't matter then whether a body uh, is alive or dead. No. It's, it's equally uh, locatable. Uh, equally locatable? No, I would actually think a dead body was... Uh, was probably harder to locate than a living being, although if it died in a, in a situation of extreme violence where there was a kind of powerful transmutation of energy, really? then it would probably be easier to see. Because, Is that right? Yeah, because when you look in psi space in this dimension or whatever it is where people get the information, yes. there is no time and space, but what does make things more visible is that they have that there be a transmutation of some kind occurring, some transformation of energy. Uh, like, a, for instance, a picture of a, um, of a tornado uh, would be much easier to see than the picture of a rice paddy. Mm. And the reason is, is that there's a tremendous amount of release of energy across part of the picture. The force, uh, the force has been more affected by the tornado. Well, there's just, it's more numinous, would be the way I would describe it. For instance... Okay, I, hold, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. We've got to take a break. The Force. I don't know. Why not the Force? That's a Star Wars phrase, but may the Force be with you, right? Well, maybe it is. This part of the show? Listen online with Streamlink. Log on to coasttocoastam.com. Dead Like Me is back. It's a great show on Showtime. And they use this music a lot. 
more touch, there's something inside that we need so much. The sight of a touch or the scent of a sand or the strength of an oak roots deep in the ground. The wonder of flowers to be covered and then to burst up through tarmac to the sun again. Or to fly to the sun without burning a wing. To lie in a meadow and hear the grass sing. To have all these things in our memories hold and to use them. Take a ride? To talk with Art Bell, call the wildcard line at area code 775-727-1295. The first-time caller line is area code 775-727-1222. To talk with Art Bell from east of the Rockies, call toll-free 800-825-5033. From west of the Rockies, call 800-618-8255. International callers may reach Art by calling your in-country Sprint Access number, pressing option 5, and dialing toll-free 800-893-0903. From coast to coast and worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. It certainly is. Good morning, everybody. Um, Hurricane Francis at this hour is 27.2 north, 80.4 west. It's about uh, 25 miles east of Okeechobee in Florida, 105-mile-an-hour winds. It continues to have 105-mile-an-hour winds, moving west-northwest at all of 8 miles an hour. That's it. Pressure is now 2835 inches, or 960 millibars, and the terror continues in Florida. uh, In a moment, we'll continue the terror right here. But uh, I know this hurricane is just ripping the East Coast apart, and people say, well, then why not intend for it to go fast across the state of Florida? Just zoom right across. It won't do so much damage. Oh, yeah, very tempting. Only, once again, when you toy around with things of this magnitude, you have no way of knowing. Maybe it would go tearing across Florida and then get out into the Gulf and stop dead and build like you know what and then slam into Louisiana or something awful like that. So, uh, again... Uh, you just you don't know the forces that you're tampering with uh, when you apply concentration. If you don't know how to apply it, you just don't know what the result is going to be. Uh, now, with respect to remote viewing, uh, I've got a hard question for you, Stephen. Okay. Uh, have you ever uh, remote viewed, uh, and if not, would you, the manner of your own death? Um, I'm not personally interested in knowing that <laughs> because I think it would... Whatever the answer, whether it was right or wrong, it might bias choices that I would make, and I would rather make the choices without, on their own merits, without any countervailing bias. Well, I have and I'm not sure that you would get accurate information because it's such a numinous event mm-hmm. for you that that uh, I'm not sure you would get. Mm-hmm. Well, my follow-up question would have been: I'm on your side. I, I don't want to know uh, the matter of my own death. I just don't want to know. But it begs the question, if you could do it, 
uh, and or maybe one of your fellow remote viewers being more dispassionate about, say, your death, right. could view it successfully. Um, if that could be done, and it was relatively accurate, uh, Stephen, then could you conceivably take steps to alter that occurrence? I mean, just make sure that instead of being in Cincinnati, where you're supposed to die, you, you get on an tomorrow. airplane. Yeah, you get on an airplane and go to South Africa to be doggone sure. <laughs> you know, could it be changed? Yes. All oh. remote viewing is oh. probabilities. It's not, it is not the, the actualized future. It is the most probable future. <clears throat> so it, absolutely. And uh, examples of that are Edgar Casey endlessly talking about things happening to California that didn't happen in the time frame. And I think the reason was is that the consciousness changed over a period of time. It's all about consciousness because consciousness is the principal reality. The rest of it is, you know, is is uh, manifestation. Or if you're well, what kind of consciousness saved California? <clears throat> I think the consciousness of the state changed. There was an awareness amongst a certain number of people about this, and they made different choices ecologically. They made choices about you know air cleanliness and. And you think that affects, uh, you really think that affects what happens in California, geologically, for example? I mean... Well, I think our consciousness has all kinds of effects. Intention, expect. I mean, it, it's sort of obvious, sort of, no, not obvious, gross levels. Look at global climate change. Global climate change, I mean, even the White House, which has now reversed itself. Yes, what a surprise, uh, huh? Yeah, I mean, it says, yes, this is... These, many of these elements are as a result of human activity. Well, if you had different human activity, that, 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 that's why once you get this point of view, mm -hmm. you make different political choices because we have the capacity, we certainly have the money to create an alternative to petroleum energy. We are, we are like junkies. We are junkies. We're not like junkies. We are a junkie as a nation. <laughs> And we're dealing with dealers, and they even look like dealers. I mean, they drive around in flashy cars and wear a lot of gold and have scantily clad women, you know, by the dozen. And it's like it's like we go into a bad neighborhood and we get this guy who's got a the, the fancy suit and the gold thing, and we, you know, we're getting our fix. It's just. It's I suppose exactly you could think the of it same that kind of addictive <laughs> behavior played out at the national level that you would see in an individual. I suppose so. <laughs> That's, I never quite thought of oil executives in that manner, but... Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, maybe... Uh, we are junkies. <laughs> we we live on petroleum, and that's that's the fix. And we have the capacity to free ourselves from that. Look, Germany is has made a, a, a national and, decision. And, they're going to have 23% oh. of their energy generated by wind power. And I, I might add that, that these guys are so good, Stephen, that they deal in it in the barrels because it's Yes. By the barrel full. Think about it. <laughs> That's right. They buy it by the kilo and they sell it by the carrot. Uh, uh, yes. Well, um, even though we seem to have some level of consciousness now in the U.S. about energy... 
Um, nevertheless, uh, we continue, as you point out, like a junkie, to use it uncontrollably. Now, Absolutely. Uh, so where, where are we headed here uh, with regard to climate change? You're a remote viewer. Have you looked at anything like that? Absolutely. And? I'm very interested in climate change. Next year, <clears throat> this year's uh, Schwartz Report conference is on uh, the physics of consciousness. Next year's is going to be about global climate change. I've been following this story for seven years. Uh-huh. And have you remote viewed the subject uh, a lot? Yes, I've, I've actually I have been doing an experiment since 1978, Art. It's one of the CDs that I've got uh, of getting people to go forward to the year 2050. And and they describe I've been doing it now for almost 30 years, and something like 4,000 people have taken part in this experiment. Well, let's hear it. What do they describe? Well, if I describe it, then then all your viewers will be predisposed but all right yes oh no 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 you're not getting away with that uh, okay well i mean they what well, i will tell you that in 1978 they started talking about aids they didn't call it aids they said there's this blood disease that crosses over from primates and it comes out of africa and it and it spreads all over the earth and kills tens of thousands of millions of people mm-hmm and at the time, I thought, what in the world is this? And I took it to a friend of mine who was the deputy director of, of cardiovascular research at NIH, and, and I said to him, what is this? Mm-hmm. And this was in 1979, I think, and he said, I haven't a clue. And, of course, several years later, AIDS began, uh, 81, whatever it was, began to emerge, and, and now it's very clear what it is. Oh, yes. They describe in detail the development of virtual reality, which I also did not understand. The reason I picked 2050, by the way, is if you go any further down line, you wouldn't understand what they brought back. Well, what is our 2050 world like, Stephen? Well, the 2050 world is um, there has been massive global climate change. There's been a finally um, some of it is, is still an issue. People live very differently than they do today. They live in, in, in communities which there's been some sort of energy revolution. A revolution. And, and it, it has allowed, uh, and there's also been another uh, generation of information revolution so that it's possible to transmit enormous quantities of, ener- of uh, information. Well, that's cool. And so, and, and, so, and, and because of the, their people now have energy abundance, you can live anywhere you want. And so there's been, as a result of global climate change, areas like the southwestern United States have been largely abandoned. What? Because the, yeah, because of the heat. It's going to be terrible. Well, it's already the, the states. Bad. The southern states are going to become tropical, where I, roughly speaking. Where I live, the, the American Southwest. You mentioned. I'm 20, yeah, I live. I know exactly where you are. You're going to have a hard time. I, I'm 20 miles from Death Valley. You're going to have a terrible time. Water is going to become a just impossible problem in the Southwest. Mm. Um, well, that that might make some sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're going to have two sons going to be the, having, uh, temp, you know. Periods of temperature 115 degrees regularly, and I can tell you that when it gets that hot, people, even Bedouins, don't work in that kind of heat. I mean, people just don't operate well when it gets that hot. We're going to have uh, rising, uh, the coastline's going to rise, doesn't have to rise very much, 
for large sections of the coastline of the, of all over the world. I mean, countries like Bangladesh, for instance, you know, the average height is like four feet above seawater. So it doesn't have to run. Look at, look at the Bahamas. They had just had, because of this dreadful hurricane, they've had surges of 10 to 14 feet. And Nassau, I mean, the highest place in Nassau, just on a guess, I would say, was about 30 feet. Um, it's clear, Stephen, when you look at the top and bottom of the globe, that they're melting. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to that. Oh, absolutely. Going, you go to Glacier God. National Park, they'll tell you the glaciers are going to be gone in about 15 years, 20 right. years. Right, I know. Uh, the top and bottom of the world are melting. I saw some pictures of the North Pole 10 years, uh, yeah. you know, and, and you go, oh, my God, two-thirds of it are gone. Yeah. And there's going to be oceans, and they're going to be planning to navigate them and everything. So the world and the climate is uh, absolutely, before our eyes, changing, and a lot of people have not grasped absolutely. that it's, yet. It's the 600-pound gorilla. It's my, it's my biggest problem with the current administration is that they don't – we are at a place where – this this reaches a tip point, and once it's it tips, it's going to be almost impossible to reverse it because the inertia of the system is so immense that once it tips, once it reaches a critical tip point and tips, it's just going to happen. I mean, you know, it's well. That's interesting because that was sort of the contention in in global uh, superstorm. Uh, that yeah. there is a threshold point, a virtual kind of switch, as you point out, and that when you pass a certain point, events escalate exponentially. Yeah, I mean the the, the business of uh, when when the um, the uh, the world ocean the conveyor that moves the energy around, the temperature around is yes. this this it's the whole world ocean. You think of it as one ocean. This um, the breakdown of this pump. Is going to produce tremendous changes all over. Europe is going to be radically different. This weather thing is is very serious, and it's it's why hundreds of Nobel laureates and 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 leading scientists in who have studied this. I mean, the people who have taken the time to master the subject to the degree that we have mastery of it, all have a point of view. The only people that don't are a few guys who. Get most of their funding out of the out of the energy industry. Mm-hmm. Any that's, that's even the Bush administration has reversed itself. Now. Well, the one positive thing that you said about 2050 was it's obvious that there's been some kind of energy revolution. Uh, do you have any idea, any idea at all? The can you describe what might have happened? Do you, do you see clearly enough what might have occurred to give us an idea of where it's going to occur? Where what's going to occur? This this revolution in energy. In other words, some new source apparently is discovered. No, I haven't asked that question. Or harnessed. It sure would be cool to know what. I, I didn't ask the question. See, I started out with this thing. I had no idea what was what they were going to say. I mean, I didn't know what they were going to say. Actually, at that point when I started this experiment, I had been a futurist. I'd just come off of the MIT Secretary of Defense discussion group on innovation, technology, and the future. So I had been reading all of the stuff, and if you remember back, the general take was we were going to have this vast overpopulation problem, right. and we were going to run out of natural resources. Correct. And in fact, there was a very famous bet between two two guys who bet $1,000, one being an ecologist and the other, and it, it, it hasn't worked at all out. I mean, we now know, for instance, that overpopulation, 
Oh, that was one of the things. The 2050 remote viewers, I asked them all, is it overpopulated? Yes. And to a person, practically, they said, no, overpopulation is not a problem. Hmm. I thought, what are these people talking about? Well, nothing good from our point of view, I'm sure. Well, no. What, what, actually, what we now know is that the sustainable birth rate, 2.1 people, uh, uh, 2.1 children per fertile couple, uh, 1.85 by some models, um, you have to have that sustainable rate in order to create a population which, which, it, which gets bigger slightly because more people come in than go out. And, and the truth is that all European countries, none of them have a sustainable birth rate. The United States only has a sustainable birth rate because of its immigration. Um, even the Islamic countries, which have had, you know, birth rates of 5.6, that kind of, I mean, just huge numbers, have fallen way back. Overpopulation is not going to be a problem. You don't think that uh, famine, disease, uh, ec ecological destruction of various sorts... Uh, has uh, a lot to do with reducing the population suddenly. Yes, I do think the population is significantly reduced. As, as, uh, based on the 2050 remote viewings, population gets, re gets reduced uh, in part because of catastrophic events which occur in a number of countries and because uh, of, uh, of drought. You mentioned the American Southwest. Where else? Well, roughly speaking, roughly, roughly, the southern states are going to become kind of tropical, and the center states, the central states, are going to become roughly like Florida is now, <laughs> and the northern states are going to become like the the um, uh, like the, the moderate central states are now. Temperate. And that's in fact it's happening. I temperate, mean, the, temperate climate. Yes, a more much more temperate climate. We're going to within our lifetime see the Northwest Passage, which has never in recorded history been opened, open up. That's at least the, the latest uh, research that I saw, that the, the fabled passage that Columbus and everybody were looking for, a way to get across the top of the world to, to get to the other side, which, of course, didn't exist, um, they think it's going to open up because of the melting of the ice. <laughs> this is a very big deal. It really is. It is a, this is the 600-pound gorilla. Well, normally humans don't get to experience change uh, this quickly. We're not used to that yes. happening. Things remain generally the same throughout our yes. lifetime. So are we not the first sort of generation to see this acceleration have begun? Well, there was a kind of mini ice age in the 1750s, uh, earlier, 1712, 1750, in fact, uh, the Battle of Valley, uh, 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 Washington keeping the army at Valley Forge, part of what made it difficult was that that took place during what's called the Mini Ice Age, where things got real cold again, which is why if you look at paintings from that period, you see, for instance, the, the canals of, uh, of Holland uh, iced over and people ice skating on them. Because that's the, but that's not going to happen now. What's going, we're going the other direction. And then it's going to get cold. Yeah, um, and it's going to happen. Uh, lots of these changes are going to happen in the lifetime of of um, a person in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. Even people in their sixties and seventies are going to see significant amounts of change. I mean, we're already seeing it. Look at what happened last year in Europe. Fifteen thousand people died in Paris because 
they don't have any air conditioning. The city was never planned to require air conditioning. They never yeah. needed air conditioning. Clearly, it has begun. Uh, if if I were to ask you, give you an assignment to remote view something, um, yeah. would you do that? Uh, well, it depends. Okay. Suppose I'm I want. I'm not going to tell you how to get into the Fort Knox, or you know. Oh darn. Oh. Uh, no, I, I was going to say, how would you feel about remote viewing Lucifer? Lucifer? Mm-hmm. As a, as an entity or as a force? Energy force? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, it's an interesting. I'm may, not maybe, sure. Uh, I have to think about. Uh, that's certainly a very numinous target, Art. I'm not begging off. I really, I, to be honest with you, I'd have to think about whether it would be possible to get. Yes. Good information, or whether, because there are such strong beliefs about him uh, as an energy force or as a being, that that um, uh, I'm not sure whether they would just get the the, the sort of the cliche images. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not even so numerous. sure. I'm not so sure it'd be a good idea. Period. I, I I just know, as you do, a remote viewer who did it. And what happened? Uh, uh, Oh, you, you don't know about that? I don't know the story. Oh, you don't know the story. Hold on, we're at the top of the hour, and we'll be right back, and I'll relate that story to you. And then, and then we'll open up the phone lines and take questions. The first-time caller line is area code 775-727-1222. To talk with Art Bell from East of the Rockies, call toll-free at 800-825-5033. From West of the Rockies, call Art at 800-618-8255. International callers may reach Art Bell by calling your in-country Sprint Access number, pressing option 5, and dialing toll-free 800-893-0903. From coast to coast and worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Stephen Schwartz is my guest. We're talking about remote viewing, mass, consciousness, intent, uh, just all sorts of things this night. In a moment, we're going to turn the phones over to you and let you ask whatever you would like to ask. I think I've pummeled Stephen sufficiently. Uh, in a moment, it's your turn.
How much would you want to know about the world of 2050? Stephen Schwartz is my guest, and by the way, uh, we always do this for every guest. I mean, he has been a wonderful guy to interview, very lively, by the way. And he's got a number of books and a DVD, and I thought we should tell you about them. Because obviously, if you have enjoyed this and you want to read about all of this in great detail, and perhaps even want to learn how to do it, then he's written books like Mind Rover, Explorations with Remote Viewing, um, Remote Viewing Through Time and Space, The Alexandria Project. Uh, by the way, that was the DVD, Remote Viewing Through Time and Space. We'll, we'll get back to that. The uh, Alexandria Project, The Secret Vaults of Time, Remote Viewing, the Modern Mental Martial Art. But uh, the DVD is, uh, well, that's a good title, Through Time and Space. Uh, and it is instantly through time and space. They don't exist. Time and space, in, in the realm in which you remote view, do not exist, right, Stephen? Uh, that is correct. The um, evidence is very compelling that distance makes no difference. It's no harder to see the near than the proximate. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the far than the proximate. Mm -hmm. That is, things that are close, things that are far away. And time doesn't seem to make any difference. Um, would that would that mean to you that all of this is occurring in in what we refer to, or um, you know, people like Dr. Kaku refer to as another dimension? Uh, one explanation is that there are multiple. One explanation for remote viewing is that there are multiple dimensions. Mm -hmm. uh, Minkowski in space. Uh, Do you lean toward that? <clears throat> Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily, huh? It's a very hard question. Well, what I would say on the evidence is, uh, it's a very hard question. I'm not sure I have an answer. Well, I'm not we sure anybody has an specialize answer in hard questions. That's all right. It's all right not to have an answer once in a while, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that that the evidence is that all life partakes to varying degrees of of this connection with the collective. Because otherwise you wouldn't be able to do the, the healing experiments involving animals. And by the way, I know that Rupert Sheldrake is going to be on your show tomorrow night. He is a wonderful guy. He's yeah, is that a perfect follow-up to this program? Yeah, he is a, he's a good friend and he is a wonderfully creative researcher. Get him to talk about, I won't, because otherwise I was going to talk about him, but get him to talk about the parrot experiments. Oh. That's all I'm going to say. Just talk to him about the parrot experiments. They are... He has the. He, it's, they've been filmed. He's got the film. It is quite amazing. All right. Um, and let me say one thing about the DVDs because these are really worth saying. It's worth stopping for a second. Last year, before I did your show, uh, in fact, I did it just before then. Uh, I, every year, the Schwartz Report, which is my daily web publication, does a conference. And last year, I did it on remote viewing. This year, it's on the physics of consciousness, new models of reality, and the mystery of non-locality. Uh -huh. And it's a wonderful conference, and you can click on the on your website, Coast to Coast, and it'll take you there. So I won't say anything about that. I, but I want to say something about these DVDs, because I'm really happy about these. <clears throat> I filmed this conference. I got all of the founders of remote viewing, all the guys that started it, Hal put off. Russ Targ, myself, Jim Spottiswood, uh, Ingo Swan, and all the guys that had done the Army program. Not all of them, but many of them, the ones who were the commanding officers. And yeah, that's a big things. list, all right. 
And, and I filmed these guys. I asked them to talk about the history, the science, the art, and the mysteries of remote viewing. And I, out of it came 11 hours of programming. Well, now that's got to be pretty good stuff. That is, I will tell you, this, this course, will, this will never happen again. This group of people is very unlikely we'll ever all speak together from the same podium. You'll never, Russell Targ, for instance, has a, talks about Buddhism and its relationship with remote viewing and it is, and physics and it's fascinating. Dale Graft, who was the contract monitor, the Air Force contract and CIA contract monitor who was part of the, ran the SRI, was their contact and then also in the Army program, was the commander of the Army program, talks about remote viewing in dreams. He's the only guy I know that, that um, has done much on this. It, it can truly be said of, in, of this material that every single person speaking is the best person in the world on his subject. That's a pretty attractive it's, it's right? amazing. Right. Yeah. Right, Jim so Spottiswood, who is an English researcher, mathematician, James Spottiswood is a brilliant researcher. And you said Hal Putoff, too, didn't you? Hal Putoff, Russell Targ, Russell Targ, myself. I mean, oh, these are big ones. So. James Spottiswood, Ingo Swan. How long a CD or DVD rather is it? Five CD. It's five DVDs. Oh my God! So you did and, the and whole thing. It totals thing? eleven hours of, of programming, and it is wow. designed to work with the four CDs to produce collectively a total course. You have eleven hours of intellectual instruction, and then you have four hours of experiential sessions. Are you telling me after going through these five DVDs and CD that you it, you could remote view? You will know everything we in science know about this subject, and I can say that. And you will learn it from the people who are the most knowledgeable researchers in the world on their subjects. When right, you talk so you... about local sidereal time, James Spottiswood, who discovered it, talks about it. All right, and... This is not a remote viewing instructional tape or DVD. No, the CDs do that part. The CDs. All right, so you are getting it all in one package. Number one, you're finding out from the very best in the world about it, and number yes. two, then you've got a course that will You're keep... taken through. There is a remote viewing CD that takes you through all the different protocols gives you all of the how to get the local sidereal time effect, how to get the geomagnetic field strength, when to do your experiments, how to do them. And then it's as if you came into my laboratory and I interviewed you as, as if you were a remote viewer. All right, so all these DVDs and CDs, how much are people paying and how do they get them? Oh, $219.95. Hmm. I made it as cheap as I could possibly make it. Okay. And you get, I mean, I feel very strongly about that. I try to, this stuff is as good as I can make it. It's broadcast quality DVDs. Right. It's studio produced CDs. And if you take them together, then you get a workbook, too, that has all the forms. No, oh, that's a big you, package. You get everything we know. And, and I did this because I wanted to have a gold standard body of material that was backed by all of the actual real research. I'm clear. And so is there a phone number or what? You go to my website. And uh, click on DVDs. It'll take you. Actually, go to www.nemosene.com. All right. Nemosene.com. N-E-M-O-S-E-E-N.com. 
that's the company that does the distribution, and all the stuff is there. I don't need to say more. All right, all right. That's wonderful. I wish you luck on all of that. And uh, just one more item before we go to the phones, and that is Lucifer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, Ed, came that, out on the left side on that one. Well, no, look, that was Ed Dames. Oh, tell me the story. Yeah, you were going to tell me what happened to And Ed Dames told me ahead of time he was going to remote view Lucifer. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. And he happened? claimed that he found Lucifer as a legitimate and real entity and was a force so gigantic and so purely evil that... Now, this will get you um, that at one point, Ed said, this entity recognized the fact that he was associating with it, and it scared the you-know-what out of him. And there are many people who feel since that encounter, Ed Dames has never been quite the same. A fact he would deny adamantly, but uh, there are many of us who think that it may have changed him in some way. Well, now, that's I mean, a pretty it, wild story. Well, actually, it would. You know, I'm not. Th- th- my only observations are these: How would you know whether you had encountered a thought form or an actual being? A thought form being a kind of archetypal force created by the focused, intended awareness of hundreds of thousands or millions of people. So, how would you know whether you were dealing with a real being or simply the? I don't know. Ma- so, but either way, contacting that energy would uh, definitely not be good for one's mental health. Yeah. I would agree with you. Okay. All right. I mean, you're t- w- whether it's an actual being or simply a, con- a collection of, of intentioned awareness, um, maybe either way, contacting something that's that negative maybe cannot it, be good for you. Maybe it doesn't matter which it is. It doesn't make... Uh, no, functionally, it <laughs> wouldn't make any difference. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, phone calls I have for you. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Stephen Schwartz. Hi. Hi. Hello, you're on a cell phone, aren't you? Yes. Hmm. Where are you? In Hampton Roads. Hampton Roads. All right. Do you have a question for Stephen? Yes, Stephen. Uh, I want to uh, comment and ask uh, your opinion on this um, man and dinosaur living contemporaneously. Right. Uh, you alluded to the fact that uh, there was scientific evidence. Uh, uh, refuting that, but uh, in Glen Rose, Texas, uh, Dr. Carl Ball. Yes, I'm has, familiar with this. Yes. Yes, he has found a, a footprint, a man's footprint within a dinosaur's footprint. We, we know. I've had him on the air. I've interviewed yeah. him. Yeah, he, he believes firmly that they were um, on Earth together, and uh, you know uh, Dr. Ball, right? Or of his work. I, I know the work. I know the work he's talking uh, about. And and so I guess this caller then wanted to know your reaction to that. I mean, there they were, the footprints side by side. Uh, I, I, well, I have two reactions. One is um, there may I, I, that particular body of material is so problematic. I mean, there's I have not personally seen it, and so I'm I'm not altogether comfortable expressing an opinion I'm, but from what i have read this is that is all highly problematic evidence and so i i don't quite know what to make of it <laughs> uh, i mean i guess that's the that's the best thing i can say is i don't know how to make i don't know what to make of it the, the, the there is a possibility that that some um, 
Well, we know that there are creatures, there are certain kinds of fish, for instance, that date back well, to that period. So. Well, Stephen, there is a problem in the uh, regression, you know, when they put the skulls together and they're going back, you know. Right. Supposedly, supposedly we evolved from, uh, from apes, right? Well, there's a problem in that sequence, and there's a couple few holes they haven't quite filled in yet in that sequence to prove it absolutely and there are people who, who have the view that there may have been an intervention of some kind yes, arthur kessler thought that there had been an intervention uh-huh in mm -hmm. fact he wrote a, in janice uh, a book he wrote some years back he argued that um, the greatest focus we should make on on medical research was getting the 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 high mammalian brain the high brain to talk to the mammalian and reptilian brains and that this resulted because there was a manipulation and intervention. You know, it's possible. I mean, it is possible. There is no way to refute that. You can't prove a negative. So it is possible that that's true. Have we ever been contacted? I, you know, it's, it strikes me as awfully, Are these awfully the... uh, uh, pompous to believe you're the only species yes. in the universe. That's yes, well, that's a, you know, a, a fairly well-expressed point of view, but uh, as a remote viewer... Can you actually go back and determine any of these questions? Is there a uh, way? Well, you could go back in time. Uh, could you go back? You know, I never thought about that. Yes, you could go back to the moment of the Big Bang. Yes, you could. Well, wouldn't that be a scenic trip? I never trip? thought about I mean, it. Wouldn't that be scenic, the moment of the Big Bang? I'm, I'm not sure whether you would get very useful information because somebody would say, well, it goes from infinitely small to... I, I'm not... I'm just not sure what you would, how helpful what you would get would be, but well, if you've it's, got it's some, doable. If you've got some spare time, Stephen, I might do that. One. Uh, wild card I line. I might do that one. That's an interest. That that interests me enough that I'm, I'm on a radio show. Okay, wild card line. Hi, hi there. Uh, you're hey, on. How there. are you? Uh, where are I? I'm uh, 20 miles north of uh, Florida line in Dothan, Alabama. Uh, we're in the projected path of the storm, possibly. Wow. Here she comes. And, uh, I did have one comment about that. Had you considered that uh, some of the greatest damage from this storm could be done to other parts of the country? I've considered her yeah, hurricanes massive like this are terribly damaging. Um, yeah, I've considered it, sure. Well, what I, my, my thought on that was is that uh, considering the Republican Party uh, has a lot of uh, wealth in it, I'm thinking that this storm will damage more Democrats in Florida and could affect the outcome of the election. Um, oh, man, I'll tell you, political season. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Anyhow, my question for uh, the doctor is, um, uh, does he believe there's any connection between um, remote viewing and um, deja vu? Uh, yes. Are you all right? Good question. Yes. That's a good question. Uh -huh. That's a very good question. I think deja vu is... Um, is more than one thing. Sometimes I think it's a precognitive awareness. That is, the dream that you have on Tuesday is created and driven by the experience you're going to have on Wednesday because the Wednesday experience is so numinous, so it's sufficiently powerful that it leaks back into your dream life of the previous day. So you have a precognitive dream or you have a a déjà vu experience, that is, you have the sense that you've had this experience before. Mm -hmm. so I think déjà vu is in, in an, uh, is a way, I hope I don't get misunderstood here, but it's kind of like dowsing. It's, it's a sort of over, it's a kind of, uh, 
hand-waving word that may cover several different kinds of phenomena. Well, here, I'll take you on a walk off the cliff on this one, buddy. Um, we've, we've had the experience, well, this extends that question. We've had the experience on this program, a mass experience. Uh, I had hundreds of emails, uh, Stephen, when it was suggested that, hey, you know, Nelson Mandela, uh, a lot of people thought Nelson Mandela died. Oh, but he didn't. Nelson Na Mandela was released from prison, went on to lead his country. Yeah, of course. Um, but uh, millions of people, if it's uh, suggested by hundreds of emails on a program like this, uh, also thought Nelson Mandela died. It's like they had one they memory fixed in their head why? about about some weird alternate reality that either happened or almost happened or that we were taken away from in, in another bubble in another universe or something where it, some That's other time or, yes uh -huh. you mean you just started getting emails saying Nelson Mandela is dead well we had some caller who said uh, Nelson Mandela is dead right and at the time maybe I said oh yeah I think I heard that too or something and you know it, somehow it began and a lot of people had the same thought and one possibility being considered about this mass, whatever it is, misthought, is that in some other reality it did work out that way and Nelson Mandela died. And a lot of people sort of vaguely remember that in some weird way in another timeline, if you're following me. I, absolutely. Uh, all I can tell you is I, in these things I favor Occam's razor. The simplest way is... Usually the best. Well, solution. what's it? Okay, fine. What's the simplest solution to this? Why do that many people think that? Well, I, I think it could be a pulse of fear that moves through the collective. You know, that's not the only time that's happened. I'm trying to think of the the, the person, in fact, the entertainer. Oh, Bob Hope. Yes. Uh, Bob, from the Senate floor, they announced that that he had died because somebody had heard that and. And they started publishing obituaries on. This was several years before he died. I think I recall. You remember that? that? Yeah, I mean, I the, I've I forgotten what the name of this, which senator stood up, but he made stood up and made this, this you know, this sort of eulogy for him, and and uh, and then people began to report it. And of course, he wasn't dead at all. You know, it's yeah. like uh, what was who's uh, was it Thurber? The reports? No, Mark Twain. Reports of my death have been. Greatly exaggerated? By millions of minds, maybe, Stephen. By millions of minds. All right. Was for uh, our friends in Florida who are indeed this morning riders on the storm. A lot of them hunched over in a deep, dark place within their house, listening to it all howl out there. It really is quite frightening. From the high desert in the middle of the darkness, this is Coast to Coast AM. Riders on the
To talk with Art Bell, call the Wild Card Line at area code 775-727-1295. The first-time caller line is area code 775-727-1222. To talk with Art Bell from east of the Rockies, call toll-free at 800-825-5033. From west of the Rockies, call 800-618-8255. International callers may reach Art by calling your in-country Sprint Access number, pressing option 5, and dialing toll-free 800-893-0903. From coast to coast and worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. It is indeed my guest, Stephen Schwartz, and it's always a pleasure to have a guest sufficiently of a resilient sort so that you can pummel them hard with questions and they come up with really good answers. Stephen is a remote viewer and we've been hitting him with the hard ones. We're, we're back to the phones in a moment. By the way, the eastern wall of the hurricane has still not yet cleared land. This is one slow-moving Mother Francis is really a slow mover, and uh, that's not good in a hurricane situation. Um, once again, Stephen Schwartz, and uh, by the way, in the material that you have available for people, how much uh, do they deal with the subject of 2050? Yes, one of the CDs is called 2050, <laughs> and it takes you through the experience. Really? I didn't know that. That was yeah. a question in the blind. And, 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 and so can, a whole CD, huh? And then you can, uh, it walks, it takes you, it takes about 45 minutes. All right. An hour. It's an experience, and you can do it, and other people can do it, and then there's a form you can get that, that um, you fill in, and, and, um, and then you can share whatever it is you, whatever your experience was. It has a common set of questions. All right. Um, and then it gives you a places where you can expand on those questions, sort of like right. an essay. You can write little things. All right. Back to the uh, uh, the present. Uh, used to the Rockies, you're on the air with Stephen Schwartz. Hi. Yes, lower. Uh, this is uh, Keith in Hamilton, Ontario. Hey there. Oh, hi. Hey, Keith. I like, I like Hamilton, and I like Ontario. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, I have a really weird question for you. Sure. Uh, I am a skeptic. Uh, Good. But, uh, yeah, but uh, here's a question and a request. Um, sure. If remote viewing is possible, uh, as we are having this conversation right now, could you remote remote view me talking to you, and the next time you're on the show, you can describe me and my surroundings? Okay, I'm not principally a remote viewer, Keith. I'm I'm a researcher. No, I've I mean, done a lot of remote viewing, and and uh, so yes, the answer is yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. My performance as a remote viewer, I would not let the whole issue stand or fall on that. If you are a skeptic, not that I'm not backing away from your thing, I'll do it. But uh, if you're interested in looking at it, I really encourage you to uh, look at a, a study that was done by Jessica Utz that's published in Statistical Science. In fact, if you send me an email, I will send you a list of papers that have been published in journals like Nature and IEEE, and that you may take a look at. That will answer your question. Okay, can I ask another one? Yeah, you may. Go ahead. Okay, Uh, I'm just wondering this infamous question of uh, to remote viewers of, uh, you know, could you remote view the upcoming Powerball lottery, you know, and win yourself millions of dollars? Oh, that's such a very Uh, good one. Actually, I personally did, I created that experiment. That's called associated remote viewing. 
and I created that experiment in 1970, August of 77. We did the first one off of the submarine, and then the next day okay, are you we ri- did it to win a horse race. All right, are, are you rich? Am I rich? Yeah. No, we've, I have, we have made money out of it. It's, it's much harder work than, than getting, the psychic is not a silver bullet. You can do it. Hal Putoff raised enough money to start a private school. Uh, Russ Targ did nine straight silver calls to make, I've forgotten how many hundred thousand dollars. You can do this. People do it. I mean, it's not just a person. All right, well, that's, that's fair enough. So, Ru- Russell Targ, you're saying, made nine, did I hear you correctly? Nine, nine straight, straight calls accurate silver calls. And made a ton of money in silver. And made a bunch of money. Hal Putoff used it to raise uh, money for a private school that for his kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used it to finance some research. It's not, it's not effortless. It takes a lot of work to do these experiments. And in the end, I came away feeling that, um, that, the, gut, that, that the reality is, is that successful traders um, are using anomalous perception to give them an edge. You know, there's a certain kind of guy. It's like oil well guys. If you, if you talk to an oil engineer. Yes. He will tell you right away what his percentage is. I mean, they put it on their uh, on their business material because people who are going to, you know, it's a crapshoot. And so you want a guy who's, everybody can get the same kind of intellectual information. I mean, that's relatively ready, uh, available. It's the, it's the interpretation part that makes the difference. And there are some guys who are very good at it, just like there are some archaeologists who are particularly good at finding things. And what they're doing is native remote viewing. That's what it is. I mean, that's that's what gives them the edge. Why two people looking at the same intellectual material, one of them can consistently produce a better result than another one. But we have yet to see, uh, you know, frequently on TV, they always show the winners of my God, a taxi driver has won $56 million, right? right. You, you see the guy saying, well, I'm not driving a taxi anymore. But we have yet to see someone stand up in front of the mics and say, well, yeah, hey, you know, I remote viewed the number. Well, I know people who have gone to Las Vegas doing it. They don't want it generally known because they would be barred from the casinos. Instantly. And... um uh, but I mean, I know people that that have done it and are doing it. They don't like goes. metal powers in casinos at all. I mean, oh. even those that I've never understood how you could bar a card counter. I mean, all they're doing yeah, is either. is counting what's visually available and ha- in, right. indelibly impressing it in their memory and then using it. Right. And that apparently change it must I figure change the odds just in favor of the gambler just enough which That's is right. absolutely not something the casinos allow. No, they're they're into making money. Slot machines produce a fixed amount. They tweak them to make them produce a fixed amount of money a day. It's there's no there's no gambling about it. Uh, if you get into, I, I once had occasion to acquaint myself with the slot machine industry for an, another purpose, mm. and um, and I, it was very clear that it was these machines produce a fixed amount of money mm. every day, and they they set it up that way. There, each one of them is a computer that's hooked by a modem back to a war room where they're watching each one of these things. <laughs> they know exactly what they're doing. 
There are laws, though. I mean, the Gaming Commission uh, yeah. keeps them on their toes. And they, That's they... right. But they, they like the laws. They make more money. You know, it's like the same thing happened to Las Vegas that's happening in Russia now. The guys who, who may have started out bogus, they, they figured out that it was easier and cheaper and more profitable to be straight. Yeah. It's yeah, more I, profitable. Oh, it's true that the, the, the Las Vegas has the running... The management of Las Vegas, at whatever level you imagine it to be managed, has changed over the years. Absolutely. Changed hands. No question about that. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Stephen Schwartz. Hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, I was listening to this, and he was, he was talking about being in uh, Vegas when I was in Reno. Somebody gave me a quarter, because ordinarily I don't gamble. And so I just went over and put one in the machine. That machine uh, opened up. I won that, that machine and wandered around and put it on. I had three machines. Mm -hmm. And after that, nothing. But at any event, my problem is uh, I wanted to ask him uh, back before remote that I'd hear it about remote viewing. I used to, I started with a subject that I would put under hypnosis and regressed to previous lives, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I began to get into, uh, I guess what you would call, um, remote viewing. And, but I didn't know for sure how well she, uh, she was doing this, so I, right. I put her off into, uh, I wanted to find out what well, could she, really something that I knew existed somewhere, but she didn't, I knew damn well she didn't. And so? So I sent her up to uh, Alaska. And I wanted her to cover the ground so high above Alaska. And when she spotted something that looked a little strange, to tell me about it. Well, she come up with what I was thinking of, what I was thinking about, and that was Hop. So I told her to go down to the side of Hop, or, you know, outside the uh, the fence, describe it, and she described it a hundred percent. So you're saying remote you, viewing? You, so you've you've tested uh, remote viewing. I wonder how many, uh, I guess uh, there are a lot of people who have followed that course, huh, Stephen? I mean, trying to prove it. Most to people, the reason remote viewing continues to grow is that just like this gentleman who called in, yeah. most people who try it, how, whatever form they do it with, the first time have a sufficiently positive effect that it demonstrates its reality to them and they pursue it. That's why it's becoming, a, that's why I say it's, like a modern mental martial art. Well, you're certainly correct. I mean, it wouldn't be growing exponentially if yeah. there was nothing to it. That's, a that's fair, right. I mean, well, why would people comment. do this? And what's interesting about it is, is that it has this, that the population who are interested in this of practitioners is about 50-50, male and female. Are we going to have a future world, Stephen, where it is so refined and so many people are doing it that literally it, it does become the end of secrets? Um, I think I've not asked that question to the 2050 viewers, but I would say based on what's going on, we're never going to get to a place where everybody does it because it takes a certain amount of discipline, and there are a lot of people that, you know, that just don't develop the discipline. Right, but it wouldn't. It's not going to do it. It but, wouldn't take everyone. But but I believe that not just remote viewing, but the whole idea that the consciousness of the what I said earlier, there are two classes of phenomena. There's anomalous perception and anomalous perturbation. Everything comes under those two categories. And I think in the future, for instance, in the medical sciences, we're going to increasingly appreciate that the consciousness of the people who look after patients has an effect on their well-being over the long haul. 
and that it's sufficiently, it, it's a small effect, but it's sufficiently large that it makes a big financial difference. I mean, if you think about people who've been prayed for, these studies, these prayer studies. Everybody wants an optimistic doctor, Stephen. Oh, well, that, yes, not only that, but, but, <laughs> but yeah, of course. But, but what I was going to say was that in, in these prayer studies, what it shows is that they have lower days of hospitalization. That's one of the universal oh, this is so across true. all the studies. Well, if you could eliminate, um, and every patient who checked into a hospital, if you could eliminate one day in the hospital, think of the billions of dollars that would save. You're right. Billions it's a B with billions, yes, uh, indeed. All right. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Stephen Schwartz. Hello. Hello. Hi. Turn your radio off, please. Oh, yeah, I just, all the way Okay. Now proceed. I had, I had more of a statement than a question. Mm. My statement was, you had made the comment about the CIA using. That would work, provided the general public never found out about this concept. That's right. What happened. Right. Because the, if you remember when the Patriot Act came out, the yes. amount of protest, yes. you'd have little granny down the street complaining that somebody's watching her. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, that's a good so, comment. Yes, it is, because I think that, you know, number one, it would, two, really, it would be irresistible for the CIA not to use this, but they blew it wide open and said, well, we did, but we're not anymore. I don't know about that. I don't know if they are not anymore. I don't, everybody asks me this question. Of is, course. There, is there some part of the government that's doing it? All I can tell you is is that if they are, they are doing it on such deep background that none of us in the remote viewing community know about it because I talk, I know everybody in the community. and and um, Well, they probably In the would, research side of it anyway. They and, wouldn't tell you guys. No, but I mean, for instance, even when when Russ and Hal were working at SRI, I mean, everybody knew that was a classified program. So you knew that there was something. You didn't know what it was exactly. I mean, you knew actually they. It was not hard to figure it out. But particularly if I, like me, you were doing research. I mean, they did exactly the same thing we did. They just did it with a different goal. In well, mind. Stephen, what's bothering me here is I might as well get to the bottom of it. Uh, if we're honestly not doing it, then I know damn well the Chinese are, probably the Russians are, and God knows how many other countries. And Oh, so I'm sure that there are people that are doing it. And, and, and in fact, uh, I, I go further than that. I know that there are people that are doing it in various kinds of ways. I mean, that, that was what I was trying to say earlier. You know, the... Uh, Remote viewing is a protocol for obtaining testable information from an anomalous source. Right. But but the same thing is done. You know, studies have been done about CEOs and profit. And the studies have shown that those CEOs who are better at doing precognitive tasks make more money than the CEOs who just do it chance. Doesn't surprise me. And much better than the CEOs who do below chance, whose businesses lose money. And you, it, the correlation is so strong that you can look at the balance sheet and predict how the guy is going to do or the woman's going to do. That's why they pay him all the big bucks up of course. front. Because they've got a track record. They've done it again and again and That's again and exactly again. That's exactly right. That is a form of remote viewing. So when you talk about remote viewing, you mean the protocol that is a particular way of doing interviews and, and doing judging, that's, a, that's, that's what remote viewing originally meant. It was a protocol. Would you but say... now it's a whole uh, 
coverall word for anomalous perception. Then, like everything else in the world, Stephen, would you say that the successful remote viewers in America and the world are the world's movers, shakers, rich people, and powerful people? Uh, The people who are the the best remote viewers as a group are accomplished people who have had successful careers in other fields and whose primary self-definition is not that they are remote viewers. Oh, no. If you had talked to Hella Hammond, for instance, who was one of the best, she would have said she was a fine arts photographer. If you had talked to Judith Orloff, who's been on your show, she would tell you she was a psychiatrist. If you talk to Michael Crichton, he would say to you, you know, I'm a writer-director. But all of those people are very good remote viewers. And my experience has been, and the remote viewers that I worked with, that I've had the best results with, were people who were confident, comfortable in their own skin. They had achieved some measure of professional and financial success, and they took this up either as part of a spiritual quest or as a desire to have a broader understanding of the outer limits of human function. Well, then, by extension, Stephen, uh, are the people out there with the psychic IQ of a brick (laughs) generally the poorest, most downtrodden, unlucky, um, unknown people in the world? Well, um, you can train yourself to suppress psychic functioning. Engineers do it. Studies show, for instance, that engineering students have less creativity at the end of their educational process than at the beginning, based on measures of creativity. <laughs> it's beaten and out of them, huh? It's beaten out of them. It is, because it's, <laughs> you, you, know, it's, you don't want people thinking. You, want, you don't want them thinking that way. So <clears throat> it is possible to suppress the ability. The ability itself is spread through the population about like any other uh, I mean, ability. in a sense, the military does that to you. It, it, it teaches you to accept orders without question, without um, any thought process yes. applied whatsoever. Very quickly, wildcard line, you're on the air with Stephen Schwartz. Got a quick question? Hello? Going once, twice. That was too quick. East to the Rockies, you're on the air with Stephen Schwartz. Hello? Hello? Yes, Stephen? Yeah. Hey, this is Stan in Tulsa. Okay, oh, Stan, Stan, how are you? Okay, uh, I have a quick question. I'll hang up and listen on the radio. Real quick. Uh, uh, as a remote viewer, is there a connection between remote viewing and astral projection or out-of-body travel? All right, good question. Yes. Is That's there? a very good question. Boy, your question's been really good tonight. And the answer? And the answer is yes. They are both forms of anomalous perception. Uh, the difference is is that an out-of-body experience is where the whole locus of your awareness moves outside of your physical body. And one of the components of that is that you turn around and see yourself, what's called otoscopy. And actual out-of-body experiences don't happen very often, but they must happen enough that there is a whole literature and they, are, they appear in the pilgrimage stories of almost every spiritual path. Well, Remote I, viewing I... is a much more... It's much more like daydreaming, and it's a way of touching the signal under normal circumstances with no trances, no drugs, no special equipment. Right. Buddy, no. listen, that's it. We're done. We're out of All time. Right. we well, got to go. You, Stephen, it's been wonderful. Thank you. It's always fun to talk to you. Later. Stephen Schwartz, Remote Viewing. I'm Art Bell. Take care. And especially in Florida, 
take care. It's just pounding away down there. From the high deserts, I'm Art Bell. Good night, all. See you tomorrow night.